when Captain America throws his mighty shield. All those who chose to oppose his shield must yield. If he's led to a fight and a duel is due, then the red and the white and the blue will come through when Captain America throws his mighty shield. Welcome to Star Joe's Podcast, episode 118, The EU Strikes Back. I'm your host, Ryan. And I'm Robert. And welcome back, everyone. Yes, we're we're back with another EU episode, the episodes where you have to pay attention. <laughs> and take notes. <laughs> and take notes. <laughs> take studious notes. <laughs> um, but before we get in, into that, you may have noticed that this episode uh, opened with a, a different song, and you probably were like, did I download the wrong <laughs> show? <Right. laughs> what is this? Um Unfortunately, we're we're coming to you with some some sad, very sad news, uh, which is that a fellow podcaster, uh, Jamie D'Alessandro, uh, known as Jamie D or the Shiznit Pimp from uh, Comic Geek Speak, he had quite a few uh, monikers. He uh, did, yeah. he did. <laughs> um, he unfortunately passed away. Uh, for those of you who weren't aware, he was battling breast cancer, and uh, it seemed like it went into remission for a while, and. Uh, then it came back with a vengeance, unfortunately, uh, and it happened pretty quick. Uh, yeah. So he passed away the Friday right before Free Comic Book Day. Uh, so uh, kind of, I mean, I guess maybe a fitting tribute after he passed away that Free Comic Book Day came right afterwards because he loved comics. And so um, not that there's ever a good time for someone to pass away, but like I said, a fitting tribute is that people all over the country went out to their comic book shops the next day. <laughs> and, yeah, it's, it's one of the few days of the year where comics are really celebrated. Right. And um, I think for anybody that knew him and had heard the news kind of that day, it, it was just um, just the time, a good chance to reflect, you know, yeah. just all the, the good memories that people have had who've gotten to know him. Yeah, it was, it was a rough Definitely a rough day because um, I had been following, as I'm sure many listeners have, and, and yourself, Robert, and everything, as far as following what was happening. Um, his sister was keeping us up to date, and uh, it was—it's weird because um, I did have the, the privilege of meeting Jamie a few times, and but I really knew him because of listening to the podcast, uh, CGS podcast, and. The week before Jamie passed away, I actually, unfortunately, lost my uncle, mm. uh, who I knew uh, very well, my dad's brother. And uh, and it was Jamie passing away meant as it affected me as much as my uncle passing away because I felt that close to Jamie as well. So definitely it was, it was a tough day. Uh, Chuck, just for those of you curious, uh, Chuck was actually wanted to me to convey his condolences as well to the family and friends and everything because uh, it hit him it hit him pretty hard as well um he was texting me i think i notified chuck and i think i notified you as well robert yeah yeah and when it happened and uh chuck like wanted to actually like get out that night he was just like hey do you want to come hang out with us we're going to a midnight uh release of the free comic book day you know, he's like, it seems like a time to be with friends. And unfortunately, I already had plans that evening. So, uh, but, you know, you could tell Chuck was like, you know, it really hit him hard. And even days afterwards, he was still texting me saying, like, I, I can't believe it happened. So, yeah, I um, I had met Jamie at the uh, Super Show um, 
and and then at just I think a couple other conventions. But um, yeah, in a similar way, I mean it's it's a a fun and kind of interesting way to get to know people like who host podcasts because we put it out there, we put our lives out there, our thoughts yeah. and opinions and our personality, and so people that listen to the shows like get to know us just as we listen to other podcasts and feel like we get to know those hosts and yeah. it's it's an amazing community so that when we do all get together it could be the first time i've met any number of these guys and um and you just say hey yeah i listen to the show i love it and then and you're friends you yeah. know what i mean it's just like that's it and you spend one night hanging out together and you know all of these stories and all of these shared experiences where you were part of the podcast by listening. So yeah, you get to actually be part of the inside jokes because you heard all the inside <laughs> jokes. Exactly. So that's what I love about actually getting together and meeting each other at conventions. Um, you just become instant friends. And all of the guys, uh, when I set up at a super show were really gracious and just awesome. Always came over and checked on me and I'd have a chance to meet them and talk to them and, and just have long conversations about the books we love and, and the artwork that we enjoy and that kind of stuff. Um, and so it's, it's just one of those things where, you know, it, ha- it happens to everybody in all walks of life, but w- within the comic book and and convention and podcast communities, uh, we're, it's a tight family. And yeah. it's it's more than just acquaintances. Um, oh, yeah. And, and as I was listening to uh, DC Noise, those guys talk about it. It was, it was just especially moving. I mean, you just create such a bond with... You know, and I think Mike was saying, like, I consider my best friends part of the podcasting groups. Oh, I mean, absolutely. I just, you know, I talk with you guys more than anybody else and often more than my family. <laughs> <laughs> so it's one of those things like they were saying. I mean, I just, um, you know, I just consider all of all of you guys family, uh, especially the DC Noise crew, crew, crew and obviously us with Star Joes. It's just good friends, good family. And any time we lose somebody, it's just heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, I think obviously the, the way that you honor these guys is to remember them and talk about the books that they love and continue on the tradition of, uh, you know, these podcasts where we get to review and make comment and 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 have a good time while we do it. So yeah, absolutely. And for those of you that didn't know uh, Jamie D, he he loved Captain America. And that's why the opening of this episode was a classic Captain America song. Uh, and you'll hear other songs through the episode uh, that you might wonder why they were chosen. And they relate <laughs> back to Jamie D. Uh, and if you listen to the tribute episode to Jamie D from Comic Geek Speak, uh, you'll know where those references came from and why I pulled certain songs. So. Um, right. And it was also <laughs> convenient for Ryan because he loves those songs too. Like I right. think he was telling me right before the episode, right? These were your favorites actually. These are top, my, these top, are my favorites. Yeah. Top, absolutely top songs. Yeah. That's what I top songs. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> sometimes you feel like a family as part of the community. Sometimes you feel like the redheaded stepchild. So, um, <laughs> but, uh, no. And one of the things I will definitely say about, about, uh, Jamie D that was really awesome and probably true for him more so than anyone else. Like I've always felt that the podcasting community and, and kind of geek community in general, uh, was always very welcoming and very open to you. If you wanted to talk comic books, you were welcomed. Uh, 
And sometimes even if you didn't want to talk comic books, you were still welcome. <laughs> um, and Jamie D was probably the most like that. Uh, he, if you were talking geek, then you were welcome to the party. And he was just, I mean, the phrase salt of the earth is, is sometimes overused, but it, it's very true with someone like Jamie D. He was just your everyday guy yeah. and he, he knew more about comics than, than you ever might know, but he didn't make you feel like he knew more about comics than you might ever know. Mm -hmm. Um, he just enjoyed, if you wanted to talk comics, even if you're getting all your facts wrong, he still was having fun talking to you about comics. So, uh, and, uh, for me, I know, uh, I've made no, have not made this a secret at all, but one of the inspirations for, me doing this show was unfortunately another podcaster that passed away, which was Eric Martin from DC noise. And I never had the chance to meet him, but I got to talk with him a lot through uh, the forums and things like that. And when he passed away, it was kind of the motivation that I needed because he put himself out there and I was like, well, if he can do it, I can do it. And uh, to honor him that I started, you know, doing the podcast and everything else now I have two, I guess you could say two people watching over us and helping to motivate me on those, those times when Chuck is being a little extra, uh, jerky and stuff. So no, <laughs> no, those, those times when it's like, oh man, I got to do some more editing or something like that. Like that's the stuff that those right. guys will be the ones that motivate me to say, yeah, well, I'm doing it for, for them as well as for our listeners. And you get a little bit extra inspiration for that because that's what they would want. They wouldn't want us to, uh, both of them would would not want us to be uh, sitting here just dwelling on them. We, they would want us to get talking about comic, get talking about geek stuff and everything else. And that's probably the most cool thing about both of them. So, um, so they will be missed. They will not be forgotten. Um, not by any stretch of the imagination. And the amazing thing, I think the biggest gift we have um, is that anytime you want to hear Jamie D again, it's, there's, thousand uh, over a thousand episodes with him <laughs> yeah you know that you know that is another thing too that is just phenomenal is that we're creating a history we're creating like a a shared just a time capsule of information you know we can go back and and review or hang out or you know review those those fun moments or those classic podcasting moments and and listen to it all over again you know what i mean it's yeah. It's not lost to time. It's not. It's not like we're just relying on our fading memories to, uh, you know, uh, pay tribute to somebody. It's you can go back and re-listen to those episodes that you've enjoyed, and yeah. so I, I think that is that is pretty amazing. That's really awesome. Yeah, it's it's awesome to, have to leave that type of legacy, and, and I can definitely say, and I'm sure Robert, you feel the same way. I know Chuck feels the same way. It's like, man, if if we're loved and cared about half as much or a quarter as much as Jamie D was. Yeah. Man, I, I feel blessed <laughs> because the outpouring that happened for him was just amazing. So, well, and it's like what uh, you know again what the guys were saying on DC Noise, like they and and kind of and what you were saying as well, but just that the CGS doing what they did were just groundbreaking. Oh right? yeah, I mean, and they they did it with open arms. I mean, they invited everybody into the forums, anybody that was starting up their own podcast. They just gave advice so willingly, yeah. and they still do. You know what I mean? It's just like oh, yeah. it's an ongoing thing, but um. But there are dozens and dozens of podcasts, hundreds of people that are, have been directly affected and supported by the CGS guys as a whole. And so just 
a shout out to those guys for being just amazing and and so Absolutely. giving of their time and themselves and and JB Dean was you know, one of the backbone. Him and Peter and Brian Absolutely. are just the absolute backbone of that, you know, kind of organization. And it and it's uh, it's built and grown since then with new hosts and new people participating. Yeah. And and it's it's a really cool thing to look back on. Yeah, and it and really CGS was a model for how when Chuck and I started, how we wanted this podcast to be. We wanted mm-hmm. this to be something where people felt like they were invited and people felt like they were welcome to be here. And right. uh, that's why we read listener feedback and we and we respond to it and and all that type of stuff and we bring listeners on the show and and things like that is because we we want people to feel like they're part of the show uh, because they are so yeah and, and I think GMD I think was it, big about that yeah and I think it shows on our forums too I think you know being able to get in touch with the people who are listening to our show in particular and and you know not you know when they post on our forums it's you know you're really great about getting back to them right away and helping them feel like they're part yeah. of the show and their, their opinions matter. Yeah. And so I'm really happy and, about that. School. And it's okay. Here's the other thing too, that I, I liked seeing is we're getting a lot more activity on Facebook and people are interacting on there as well. Yeah. And I, I post a lot of comic reviews uh, on there uh, whenever I can. And I'll get people on there that don't agree with me and that's fine. <laughs> they're, they're wrong, but that's fine. Um, but no, it's, it's fine. And the great thing about it, and I've, and I've seen it different in other areas and other forums and other Facebook things and stuff like that is it's fine to disagree with each other and we can do so in a joking manner or to make a point or something like that. But no one is personally attacking another person <laughs> and, uh, unless it's Chuck and me, then that's different. <laughs> then it's just personal attacks. Which then it's be... nothing but personal attacks. <laughs> no, um, and as I would say, it's okay if you disagree with Ryan, but just be be ready to realize he's always going to get the last word. Oh, yeah. He can't let it go. Right. I can't <laughs> let it go, and I do all the editing. So, <laughs> so just when you oh, thought you had the last word, I will delete it. No, <laughs> no, but seriously, we've gotten that compliment before uh, of like, you guys make sure there's a community that's welcoming and everything else. And honestly, that's directly influenced by Comic Geek Speak. That's that's the environment they created. And again, Jamie D was a huge focal point in that. He was totally fine if you disagreed with his opinion and he would talk to you about it and it's fine if you never changed your mind about it, but you know, he was willing to listen to you. So, um, definitely this episode's dedicated to Jamie D. Uh, I know he wasn't a huge star Wars fan, but Oh, well, this is the episode we're doing. <laughs> um, but I know he liked star Wars. Uh, and, uh, like I said, I, I can't believe he's gone, but then again, he's never really gone. So, um, and that, like you, like we were talking about, that's kind of the cool thing about this. You can always go back and hear him again. So, um, so with that, uh, we, Jamie, right now would be looking down on us and saying, "What the hell are you guys doing? Get into some geek talk." Right. So, I think it's only appropriate that we do so. <laughs> um, so, this is a Star Wars episode, so I think it's important that we address a couple big Star Wars news things that have been out there. First off was the announcement about the expanded universe, which is the heart and soul of this of this type of episode. Yeah, I mean that uh, that came out the same weekend as C two E two, so I was up at the show, and then it was like a it was the buzz on Sunday. 
Right. Like, have you heard about the Star Wars stuff? I'm like, no, because I've been working my table. And then <laughs> they told me, I'm like, what? And so, basically what they told us, Robert, is what we're doing right now does not matter. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> crap. <laughs> so we're wasting our time. No, um, no. <laughs> and I don't, I don't know about you, but I was not surprised by the news. Basically, for those. No, of not you, at all, yeah. Yeah. For those of you who don't know what the news was, basically Disney and everything came out and said, that the previous expanded universe uh, is its own separate continuity from from anything else. It's not considered canon. It's not going to be uh, taken into account when they're looking at doing movies or TV shows or comic books in the future. But that everything from now that's created as far as from Marvel Comics or TV shows of Rebels and, and, th- mm-hmm. and the movies are all going to count going forward. Um God bless them for trying to do that. I still don't think that's going to be possible, but I hope they can pull it off. Um, but they basically said they might pull some inspiration from past EU, but yeah. they're, but none of it is canon. They just it might just be inspiration, not necessarily characters and things like that. So. Yeah, I think they kind of. I mean, I've I've heard a few quotes, and and thing is that they look at it as you know, there's twenty to thirty years worth of uh, possible material to mine. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. to you. So there might be characters pop up that have been mentioned or used before. It may or may not be the exact same iteration of that character, but it'll certainly be, you know, say influenced by or just, you know, that character is named that or in that position for a particular reason. And they might kind of, you know, if they if they need uh, some kind of bounty hunter, you know, then why not use one that's been created before? But we'll yeah. just use it to fit in the canon and the situations that we've created. Um, and to me, it wasn't surprising. It was very similar to our approach when we relaunched G.I. Joe over at IDW. Yeah. And we had very similar characters, obviously, with the same names, but the, some of the relationships changed. Or some of their, um, you know, say, uh, their rank, you know, their military rank might have changed. Or just, or their gender changed, or whatever. <laughs> but the idea is just that... Uh, Chucking my favorite thing, yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, but just, I mean, the, uh, the idea is that... They have to do this, or it's just going to be a nightmare trying to... Um, I mean, they had full-time staff at Lucas... Uh, you know, just Lucasfilm and, and and who who were in charge of the canon. You know, making right. sure that everything lined up. And and I don't know that Disney wants to take that inv- and that investment on, or that 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 amount of time and, and attention to detail. I mean, they, they certainly will. And they'll probably have somebody in a similar position moving forward, but... Yeah, you know, as well, they, they pull actually, on the property, they, they have, have com- complete control moving yeah. forward. and they actually have a story team now in place, so they yeah. actually are investing in it going forward. But they, like you said, they to unravel some of some of the mess from before because there was definitely stuff that contradicted itself and everything else when you compared it to the movies and things like that, yeah. especially the prequel movies. Right, and um, even that was yeah a little entangled and, and not exactly yeah. accurate. Yeah, so they have a story team now that's going to focus on making sure the continuity all makes sense and all works and all counts and things like that. So I, I think that's good. I still think it's going to be very difficult to do, but you know that's what their job is going to be. So you know, hopefully they do a good job of it. I know I'll be there for the ride. Uh, I know it'll be uh, a pretty fun ride. I'm hoping or I'm anticipating it will be. Um, but 
like you were just saying with G.I. Joe, anyone that listens to this show, if you're up in arms because Star Wars is getting a whole new continuity, I don't know what you do every time G.I. Joe gets a reboot or Transformers gets a reboot. Or <laughs> I know it's, you know, I, it's not like your childhood's ruined. Okay. Like right. all of that, exactly what you were saying, you know, just all of that information is still there. All these books that we're going to review are still written. It's not like they're taken off the shelves and you don't have access to them anymore. Yeah. Like, you, as a consumer, have the right to accept or reject any product that's put out, right? So, if you just like the old, the original three Star Wars movies, and there are people like that, yeah. they they haven't bought into or spent their money on any of the prequel stuff, any of the comics, any of the expanded novels, and that's their choice, and good on them. That's fine. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? And if, and if you're up in arms or upset about Disney's approach, then don't support it. Right. You know what I mean? But I think that the way I see it is... Um, any Star Wars is better than no Star Wars. Oh yeah. And with the back end of Disney, you know that you're going to have, you know, well-funded, high, high, um, high level of production movies and uh, TV shows and and typically, with, uh, yeah, typically high quality. So I mean, exactly. I mean, you might you might be able to nitpick story or casting choices or or whatnot, but I'm just like I would rather have those conversations than than wonder when the next Star Wars movie will come out if ever. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing, too. I, I had mentioned I actually recently was on a uh, little plug here. I was recently on uh, another episode of The Pool Bag, mm-hmm. uh, actually episode 66, uh, and it was a Star Wars episode. So that's right. you know, kind of a little funny there. But uh, the, Mike, who I was doing the show with, he said, um, you know, he never really got into the, the EU. He focused mostly on, you know, the movies and everything else. And, and you know, that's that's perfectly fine. He said, you know, he had heard that there had been some bad stuff in the expanded universe, and that's what kind of kept him away. And I said, okay, but there's also bad stuff in Marvel, and there's also bad stuff in DC, and there's also bad stuff in Image, and, and so on and so forth. And there's also bad stuff in the Star Wars movies. I mean, it's right. not like they were like six <laughs> perfectly made movies, you know, that right. is the epitome of cinema. It's, you know what I mean? So, yeah. But well, three was... of them were, but... <laughs> <laughs> I'm taking into account, you know, all of them, but... I mean, just the idea is that um, I would say with the expanded universe stuff, the majority of it is solid, really solid storytelling, really good. And some of it is uh, magnificent. I mean, it's just really great. If you're into Star Wars, it is fantastic stuff. And that's worth reading a crappy novel or two. Right. You know? And it's worth like a mediocre comic book story arc. And even in the bad stuff, the bad comics and the bad books – there's still nuggets of good stuff in there that ends up translating into some of the other stuff that was really good. Um, yeah. You know, we're going to, that's the thing that's great. You're talking about all those stories are still there, still there to read. They're also still interconnected with each other. It's not like that connection goes away. Yeah. So, so as we go through uh, the stories today, there's definite connections to stories stuff that happened in the comic books and stuff that happened in other books and, and everything else. And, and we'll kind of touch on those. Um, so well, I was going to say, I was, and I'm curious to hear from listeners too. So like when we, when we post this episode, I hope people get on the forums because I want to hear your opinions. Cause my opinion of it is that, um, you know, I, I just don't understand how people can't segregate or just separate the, the old stuff and the new stuff. Like, yeah. I'll watch the new stuff and thoroughly enjoy it. And I'm like, I'm completely excited for it. I think it's going to be fantastic. Like I don't have reservations. I think it's just full bore. It's going to be amazing. And that's my opinion going into it. So 
and I can, I can watch that and appreciate it for what it is. And then I can continue to read these novels and it's not going to like make my brain hurt. If the novel, why is this? My world's collapsing. Like, you know, if I'm reading a novel and Luke Skywalker is dead in the novel, but in the movies he's still alive, okay, and the same amount of time should have passed or something like that, right? Right. Like, whatever. Just <laughs> it evidently makes some geeks' minds hurt. <laughs> I, I guess, you know, but I just – I can read the book and appreciate the book, and yeah. then I can watch the movie and appreciate the movie. And that's I've, – I've, I've always had that opinion when it comes to comic book movies and adaptations from books and all that kind of stuff. Just – Appreciate it for what it is, and why get hang up on every little, um, you know, divergent plot point or character revelation yeah, or whatever. When DC does a whole reboot, why all of a sudden say, "Oh, I don't like DC," <laughs> like some podcasters we might know. Um, but but uh, no, I'm I'm right there with you. Like I am good at separating things. Man, why, why why can't I bring back my old DC man? Just bring it back, man. That's all I'm saying. Go ahead. Sorry. Is Keith here? <laughs> Look, man, this is what I'm saying. I mean, so anyway. I want my characters with collars, pop <laughs> collars. That's it. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> um. So, anyways, <laughs> I'm good, just like you, Robert. I'm I'm good at separating things when they need to be separated. So my mind can separate, okay, this story is obviously in kind of like I almost view it like it's an Elseworlds story sometimes. Yeah. But when there is connections between the movies and the books and the comics, I can make that connection also. So, And that's when it gets to be a lot of fun for me. That doesn't mean it's not fun for me when that connection doesn't work. It, if it's yeah. a good story, it's a good story, and I'm going to enjoy the hell out of it. Yeah, so. I, complete, I completely agree. I think I think when there are changes or differences... I, I can accept it, and I'm fine if it's if it makes sense within the plot, you know that they're 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 creating. Then I'm totally fine with it. But like you said, whenever there's that Easter egg or that little bit of thing that ties them together, I get excited and I think it's fun. And then you know you move on. Yeah, and we actually do have a, an email from our, our good buddy Jason uh, talking about the expanded universe. <laughs> awesome. So you know how he starts. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he says, "Say star bitches." <laughs> Says how you living? I just saw that the Star Wars expanding universe will no longer be in the canon of the films. I'm not sure I've, how I feel about this. I've been collecting the novels for the past year uh, for about a dollar a book. <laughs> good price. That's a good rate. Yeah, you're <laughs> still that's... you're still in for 150 bucks. Just so you know. <laughs> Tony, I, my brain doesn't want to do that math. No, 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 no. <laughs> Sorry if I depressed you for a second. Because I did not pay a dollar. <laughs> Um, and he says, I've started uh, by reading the movie novels. I think I'll continue reading them, but I wonder how you guys feel about it. Do you think it's worth it, or do you just want to wash your hands of the whole thing and see how it plays out on the big screen? He says, I grew up watching G.I. Joe cartoons and reading the comics. Those two had very different stories. I like the separation because one did not ever spoil the other. Uh, the They could coexist in my world, and I could pick and choose the arcs that I liked. That's how I'm looking at the new trilogy. We don't have to figure out where the movies will take place. We get to see an entirely new story. It doesn't matter if you're the world's biggest Star Wars geek that's read every book twice or if you're a regular person that's only seen the older movies once. We all will experience it for the first time together. He said, also, how are you guys following the new trilogy rumors? I'm not actively blocking them out, but I'm trying to not keep up with them. I would love to go into the movies with a, without a clue of what to expect. That's all I've got. 
Uh, but I love you bitches so hard. XO, XO, <laughs> Jason, the fourth host. <laughs> so. Oh, man. So when it comes to Star Wars news, I'm not hiding from it, but I'm I'm kind of like Jason. I'm not hiding from it, but I'm not looking for it either. Yeah, I'm the same way. Um, the only thing I kind of read up on was they showed a photograph of a script read. Did you see that picture? Yes. Oh, yeah. And I did go in and, and read through an article where they were, like, uh, guessing who all the characters were and what their alliances were. And I, I, got, I got into that and geeked out a little bit. And, oh, and yeah. I was probably more than I needed to um, as far as, uh, you know, finding out more about it. Um, I'll yeah, just I, wait. I'm, I, don't, I don't care if I'm spoiled. Yeah. But at the same time, I'll just wait and enjoy it. Uh, and I'd rather do that than try and hang on every little rumor and get certain things given, handed to me ahead of time. Yeah, and and I actually remember someone posted it on Facebook that picture, and I think the comment I made was that I would mortgage my house to spend five minutes in that room. <laughs> and my wife saw the comment and she's like, "Ryan," <laughs> <laughs> um, because it's very true. Uh, and uh, but I would no. need I would need more than just be in the room. I would need them to say like. Uh, line up and then you know me get to run through them and give them all high fives or yeah. you know just some, something more than just being a fly on the wall but sit, sit on Harrison Ford's lap you know? <laughs> yeah I'm gonna stroke my hair as he reads his part right. my favorite part <laughs> of that my favorite part was that R2D2 was sitting in a box in the background oh. <laughs> <laughs> he's a um well, he's a method actor I mean that's right. that's how you do it right Kenny that's Baker was in the droid in the box, box. yeah <laughs> I love it well and it's even like somebody suggests like um. Oh, and all of a sudden, I forgot his name. Peter. Um, Peter Mayhew. Yeah, Peter May, Pe- May Mayhew. They're like, why is he even there reading the script? I'm like, what's he gonna do? Just make Chewbacca noises? Like, <laughs> and he's not even the one who did it, you know? And I was like, well, it's probably good for him to know what's going on in the script at least. But right. Um, that's funny. But uh, yeah, like I said, if, like you said, I, I'm not looking to get spoiled about the story or anything like that. But at the same time, if I'm on like Newsarama or something like that, and they have an article about the new Star Wars movie, I'm probably going to read it. <laughs> well, and you so. know what? Another thing is, is I'm actually really one thing I'm really happy about the Disney takeover and 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 producing the movies is I I almost wonder if if it was still under Lucasfilm, if Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher and Harrison Ford would have all come back. Yeah. like this i don't think it would have happened no. i think it was honestly disney taking over and just throwing the amount of money it would take yeah. possible and and honestly coming with it with an idea that hey we're playing homage to the past we want everybody here we want a sense of the original and um and they i don't think they would have accepted otherwise i think that the prequels kind of left a bad taste in even the actors mouths oh yeah. you know where they were like uh yeah even i think harrison ford even made comment on it you know yeah. like at some uh tribute dinner to george lucas or just like, yeah, those three movies sucked or something. Yeah. Um, well, and I think but, Harrison Ford was like saying no, like putting one hand up saying no, no, I'm not going to do it. And the other hand was like down low, like raking in the money. And, yeah, well, yeah. Yeah. Keep bringing it. Keep bringing it. Oh, no, no, I'm not going to do it. Keep bringing it. Keep bringing it. Uh, oh, okay. I'll be in it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I think, you know, but I mean, they're in a position where they can make that sure. stand and they deserve it. And I think I don't that, blame them. that luckily Disney you know, has the resources to make that kind of thing happen. And I think yeah. it's just going to make for a much better movie, a much better acceptance from the fans yeah. than if they came up with a whole new cast, a whole new story. And it's just Disney fied, you know, like a pirates of the Caribbean, but star Wars. Yeah. And Caribbean. I will not, I will not be surprised or shocked. And I don't think any fan should be if most, if not all of the original cast dies in the first movie. 
<laughs> in all seriousness, I mean, I have heard everyone's heard the rumor, and I don't think it's even a rumor. I think it's fact because uh, I think he said it is that Harrison Ford wanted Han Solo to die in Return of the Jedi, and I have a feeling that he agreed to do this movie with the caveat that Han Solo dies in it. Right. Um, there's nothing. The there's nothing confirmed about that, but I have a feeling that that's what's going to happen. Um, so I apologize if that ruins something for somebody, but what I really hope is that we get to see Luke Skywalker as this kind of the grandmaster, um, Jedi and creating a new, I want, I want so bad to see a Jedi Academy under the tutelage of Skywalker. I want that so bad. Oh, it's just one of my favorite, absolute favorite aspects of the novels is that, is that's a running thread. And I can't imagine him being in it. Obviously, with the idea that ending with Return of the Jedi, he is him and and Leia are the last known Jedi, right? And so it makes sense, you know. It just makes progressive plot sense for him to have built it up, and now we have thirty years of time to pass. Yeah, and I oh I can't wait. Yeah, to see I highly that. I'm doubt so excited gonna, about that. Yeah, I highly doubt they're going to have him sitting like in a chair with just drool coming down. I think they're <laughs> going to make him the Master Jedi. Yeah, I honestly think it would be cool, really cool, if. Um, he became the threat if he started off as a master Jedi, oh. <laughs> but but then he went dark. That would be ballsy. It would yeah. be good. It would be really good, but it would be so ballsy to do that. Oh yeah. But uh, so speaking of the cast, I uh, got a little bit of Star Wars news, and uh, I don't think this gives anything away. Ultimately, that would ruin anything for anyone. Uh, but Star Wars casting news as of May sixth. So as of this record, us recording, this is a little bit uh, about a week ago. Uh, Ain't it cool? News stated that the working title for the movie is Star Wars Episode Seven: The Ancient Fear, but it's not confirmed. Hmm. Uh, actor John Morton, who played Dak in the Star Wars movies, uh, in well, in Empire for like two milliseconds. Yeah. Uh, sh- he shared some info at Star Wars Fan Fun Day in Lancaster on May 5th. Morton told movie critic that the events in the upcoming animated TV show Rebels will set up and point the direction for Star Wars Episode 7. He says Rebels is the key. Rebels will provide the link to bring in the continuity from Clone Wars, the original trilogy, and the prequels to enable Lucasfilm and Disney to tee up Episode 7. Sweet. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, I, I heard that Rebels, um, and and in fact, Rebels is taking certain aspects from the expanded universe things. Yes. I mean, just like locations and events, and or not not so much events, but like yeah, like locations, planets, and you know stuff that were established only in the EU is going to you know play in play a part in the Rebels stuff. So yeah. Um. So here's some of the actors. Uh, there's John Boyega, who the only other thing that he's really big known for right now is he's on the new uh, 24 TV show. Mm. Uh, he, he actually plays a, a, a main type of character in that show. Um, then there's Daisy Ridley, who basically did some TV work and just started in 2013 being even on IMDb. <laughs> so, so she's really new. Yeah. Um, then there's Adam Driver, who was in the movie Lincoln. Uh, that's probably what he's most known for. Uh, he was Samuel Beckwith in the movie okay. Lincoln, and he just started his uh, 
stardom in 2009. So we have a lot of young actors. Yeah. Which I think it's good. Um, well, the, uh, in the original movie, like Mark yeah. Hamill and Harrison Ford, this was some of their first movies. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, then we have Ad, uh, Oscar Isaac, who was in the 2010 version of Robin Hood. He was Prince John. And he was also in the movie Sucker Punch. Uh, he was the character named Blue <laughs> Jones, which I heard was a horrible movie. Uh, it's visually very interesting to watch. Yes, that's what I've heard. Uh, and then we have Andy Serkis. Uh, yeah, that was kind of a strange curveball. Yes, uh, he was Gollum and the Witch King in the Lord of the Rings movies in The Hobbit. He was Kong in King Kong. And he was Caesar in The Rise of the Planet of the Apes. So he's obviously, or at least it's assumed, he's going to be some type of CG character. Or um, alien, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Which I'm like, you know, that's awesome. Get the king of the person, who, or get the guy who's the absolute best in the industry of, yes. of doing these things. So, And he's an actor, too. Like, he's acted in other oh, stuff. No, I mean, his portrayal of Gollum is amazing yeah. acting. Yeah. I mean, he's one of the best characters in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And it's like not just because it's good CGI. Yeah. it's I mean, they did facial capture. He was acting all of that out. So it's like, yeah, he's an amazing actor. Well, and I was going to say not even that, but he's also like played as himself as a person in some movies. Oh, yeah. And yeah. So there's some thought that maybe he'll play a CG character, but maybe he'll also play as himself as a character. In the movie, he might actually he take could. on. No, you're right. Yeah, he's a great actor in his own right. But yeah, yeah. it's kind of assumed. You know what I mean? Yeah. With, with there being so many alien species in Star yeah. Wars, if you're going to get somebody to play an alien, he would be a really top bill for that. Yeah. Uh, and then you have Dom Hall or Domnall uh, Gleason, uh, who is Bill Weasley in the Harry Potter movies. That's really all he's oh, right. really recognized for. And then the last one really stood out to me and I thought was awesome was Max von Sydow. Right, yeah, that's what people are excited about. And he was Father Marin in The Exorcist, and more importantly to this <laughs> show, he was Ming the Merciless from Flash Gordon and Vigo <laughs> from Ghostbusters 2. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the great Vigo! Oh, man. <laughs> Why am I dripping with goo? <laughs> um, <laughs> man, I need to watch that movie again. Oh, it's great. Um... So yeah, they were. Someone actually said in an article, and I totally agree with this, is that uh, Max von Sydow can totally fit in with the uh, original cast very well. Like he'll he'll fit in perfectly with them because he is a veteran actor and very good. And you can you have to assume he's either playing some guy in charge or he's playing a bad guy. <laughs> yeah, you kind of wonder. I mean. I mean, there there are politics involved in Star Wars, and there's people who harp on the politics of, uh, you know, the prequels or even Clone Wars at times, and and yeah, that can get a little heavy-handed. But I mean, um, you have to assume, you know, that there's that the the New Republic is built and functioning, and if that's the case, there is bureaucracy, yeah, and uh, that's inevitable. So even if, I mean, you had Mon Mothma who was in charge of the rebellion, you know what I mean? You have people in charge, so yeah. There, there are plenty of positions available for that story to be told, and you need good actors to make those characters compelling. Absolutely. Um, and then we did have uh, another email. Uh, this is from Thomas. It's movie-related. Uh, okay. And he says, hey, Star Joes, I have two questions, both TMNT-related. 
Right. He says, what is your opinion on the up- upcoming TMNT film? <laughs> I will see the film, but I have not been a fan of the character designs. In terms of the look of the turtles, I don't think this new film is going to be, uh, be able to touch the mastery that was Jim Henson. To this day, I am still blown away by the designs of the turtles in that first film. He got all the action and emotion out of bodysuits and puppets. He says, second question, are you going to do a commentary or spotlight on the first TMNT film from the 90s? Oh, man, I'd love to do that. Yeah. That movie definitely holds up. It's one of the few 80s yeah. movies that you can just go watch over and over again. And the story is compelling. It, it stayed true to the comics so well. Um, and it was great. I mean, Secret of the Use, I think, like, hit right at the time that we were kids and interested in turtles. And so it was a blast and fun. And you, you remember it with, uh, the nostalgia glasses on, right? You go back and watch it and you're like, it's Oh, no ice, what were you thinking? You know, <laughs> like, it's just, it's terrible. But, um, the first one is not like that at all. It's no, solid. It's so the first good. One is good. Yeah. yeah. Um, now as far as the, the new movie coming up, okay. I've watched that trailer and I've watched breakdowns of the trailer. I've watched it in slow motion. Like, um, <laughs> I think I'm very excited about it. I know a lot of people just crap on Michael Bay. Uh, the one thing, you know, one thing that, uh, I appreciate is that every Michael Bay film I've watched looks pretty. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the cinematography on it is pretty beautiful. It's really well made. It's very cool. Yes. There's lots of explosions. I like explosions. (laughs) So I have no problem with this. Uh, yes, there's Megan Fox and pretty women. Like I like pretty women. You know what I mean? So, like, I don't mind watching these movies. Um, now, one thing Q, is... Q Roy Orbison. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Now, he's he's just producing this movie. And, and I think it's a heavy-handed production. You know, like, he's... Sure. You can tell it's a Michael Bay film. But it's being directed by, you know, somebody else. And I just hope that they kind of appreciate Turtles. I think there's a lot... There's going to be a lot of, like, nods and homages to original Turtle stuff, like... You know, Megan Fox playing April O'Neil wearing a, a yellow leather jacket. Right. Right. You know, it's just you kind of paying homage to the yellow jumpsuit of the 80s. You know, like, that's fine. That's cool. I don't need it to be exactly like my Turtles. You know what I mean? Right. Again, like we were talking about Star Wars, I would just rather there be a Turtles movie made than nothing made. Okay. Yeah. And at and, the same time, I will say from watching the trailer, and I've watched it many times, from watching the trailer, it seems like the turtles are still the fun turtles. Yes, they're dark at times, and yes, they're foreboding, you know, very ominous looking at times, but it's kind of when they need to be. The other times, they're silly, goofy, the turtles that we we know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and their characters seem distinct, even with what yes. little we've seen, like Michelangelo kind of with the jokey bit at the end, yeah. Leonardo being all ninja and cool and, and stoic, and... Um, uh, Donatello like just covered in homemade tech gear like makes yeah. sense and then I like too even that little bit where they're kind of going down the mountainside and they're, they're yeah. using like combo moves you know what I mean like slingshotting and, and him bashing that Humvee, Humvee with his shell like that's awesome now okay so a few departures um, they're sheer size I mean they're like seven eight feet tall almost yeah so they yeah. seem enormous which I mean they are mutants and you to me okay another cool thing is i I teach a lot of classes i teach like comic art classes whatever i have this dream of teaching a creator character design class and one of my assignments is to have all these students do their version of the turtles 
Okay. And I collect. Like, this is just something. I, I go online, and every time I find somebody's unique vision for the turtles, I, you know, save those images to my desktop or to my computer. Right. And I love, I love seeing all what the different... comes with. Exactly. Yeah. All the different iterations, whether it's people you know, dressed in the motifs and they have the same personalities as turtles. I mean, that's obviously pretty far out there or just that some of them look a lot like turtles and some look more like the traditional sense and, and changing the proportions and the details and the, and the design. I love it. So for me, I'm actually excited about this because to me, it's just another cool interpretation of the characters. Now, like you said, as long as they keep the characters pretty true yeah. to the nature of, of what makes them unique, I'm completely fine with whatever they look like. So, you know, if now there, I might not agree with that design. I might think that design kind of is weird in some places, but sure. I can appreciate it for it being like a unique vision for the character. Yeah. And like you said, as long as they still have some of those unique personalities and we get to see that personality, I'm fine with that because, and <laughs> I, I don't mean to badmouth it, but I have to, it's mm-hmm. more than we got with the Transformers movies because the Transformers most of them, to me, especially in that first movie, did not have their personalities. You oh. had Optimus Prime had his personality, and that was pretty much it. It was just a name slapped on a basic representation of the vehicle that they were. Yeah, and even sometimes not even that. Yeah, where at least with this, I feel like from what I've seen so far, we're getting the Turtles' personalities. Um, I am nervous about Megan Fox because I don't think she can act her way out of a paper <laughs> bag, but... I'm hoping she proves me wrong. You know, regardless yeah. of what I think of her past acting, I'm hoping, you know, this one can prove it, prove me wrong. Because um, there's been actors that have done that. There's been actors I thought were jokes before, and, and they actually turn out later on to be good actors. Right. So, um, well, so, yeah. The other thing, too, is um, there's a lot of talk about the turtle's nose and nostrils and lips. You know what I mean? Just that they're a little too human, human humanoid, I guess, in yeah. a way. Um, and I did see this one picture where somebody photoshopped. Did you have you seen that? Uh, uh, you can I find it. So. You can just I'll, I'll send it to you. But and we can post it in the blog post. But also, yeah. um, or on the forum. But you can just search uh, Team and T movie. Um, uh, or ter- yeah, Team and T, yeah, movie no nostrils. Okay. <laughs> just search no nostrils, and in the image image search, so like Google image search something, you'll see a side by side of Michelangelo there right at the end of the trailer where he pulls his mask off or about to pull his mask off, mm-hmm. and you can see it, you know, just a screen capture from the trailer, and then someone went in with Photoshop and made it look more like a traditional turtle, like from okay. the cartoons or comics. Gotcha. And I gotta say. It looks way better without the nostrils <laughs> because it's so much closer to what we know, you know, the turtles yeah. to be. Yeah. But I think, you know, it's just one of those design choices, and uh, right. I, I'm not going to let it. It's kind of like lips on Snake Eyes mask on right. G.I. Joe. Yeah, it's frustrating. It's kind of annoying. It doesn't make a lot of sense, but I don't. I didn't let that ruin the movie for me. Right. Right. There was other things that ruined the movie for me. But. <laughs> and, yeah, right. As far as the commentary goes, I'd love to get back to doing commentaries. It, it's they're just it's tough to do. Um, in the back in the day, like Chuck and I both had, you know, bank holidays off, and my wife still had to go to work, so we would just commandeer the whole downstairs, right. and we would do it that way. Um, maybe what we do because we wanted to try to do this before. Maybe what we do is if. Uh, if we're all able to make it to Baltimore this year, um, is maybe, idea. maybe one night is you know, that Saturday night rather than it being a bunch, a big free for all. Maybe we have 
uh, people in the room and we do a movie commentary for. Uh, I I am so all for this. Sounds awesome. I'm way excited. <laughs> I mean, we could do if we, even if we just do one movie, that's cool. But I yeah. would be totally up for uh, just late into the night. I'll be drawn away. Yeah. And and we could just pop movies in and then just yeah. record our commentary. Oh yes, yes, yes. Woo! I'm so. so excited about this idea. I think it'd be great. We could totally do the turtles. I love this idea. I'm excited to be part of it. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, no, man, that sounds perfect. I, yeah, that's great. It' a great way to do it. Yeah, I can always find a way to fit uh, Ghostbusters quote yes. into into anything. So. <laughs> no, we got to do a Ghostbusters. We could do turtles. There's a lot oh, yeah. of things we could do. Oh yeah. So, uh, and then we had a voicemail from uh, a listener, a, a very famous listener. Okay. Um, and uh, Robert has not heard this yet. No, but I've heard good things. Yes. And uh, so I'm going to go ahead and uh, play this for you. So uh, be ready to have your mind blown. Okay. Hey, hey, Chris. Chris, can we go to the headquarters on the way to Cobra Island? I forgot my iPod at base. Adam. I can't understand a word you're telling me out there on the landing skid. I'm in the cockpit of my Skyhawk GTO-L. It's got vertical takeoff and landing. It's got both. You need the landing. It's key. Proof glass between us as well. You know I can't hear through that. Besides, twin turbine jet engines roaring in my ear. We're cruising along at 510 miles per hour. You can't expect me to hear what you're saying. Even if I could, believe me, I'd much rather be listening to Star Joe's. It's my favorite podcast. They got the best host, Ryan, Chuck, Robert. They're cool guys. Those Star Joe's talking about Star Wars. G.I. Joe, He-Man. My favorite He-Man character is Man-at-Arms Lynx. You gotta be careful, though. You go into the Hordak slime pit sauna, he'll get you. Watch out for him. Anyway, I like Star Joe's. It's a good time. It's like candy for my ears. Sparks, come in. Do you have Duke's homing signal? You're supposed to rescue him. So we uh, <laughs> we were graced by uh, Christopher Walken. <laughs> wow! 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 <laughs> oh my gosh! Oh, that's hilarious! <laughs> well done, sir. That is awesome. Best voicemail ever. <laughs> I would have been laughing like crazy. I didn't want to drown out the voicemail. That was so good. <laughs> uh, and what I'm going to do is I'll, I'll make sure I download it directly into the episode so it's very clear for everyone to hear but oh my god yeah, I was oh my gosh when i first heard it um because he's like hey hey chris and i'm like chris and then i was like oh christopher walken <laughs> oh, uh, man. man at arm's length uh, <laughs> it's his favorite character and you got to watch out for the hordex uh slime pit sauna oh my gosh um yeah that was fantastic <laughs> I've been waiting because, you know, every pod or almost every podcast that has voicemail gets that one character that calls. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I am perfectly fine with it being Christopher Walken. <laughs> <laughs> we need more of that. We need more. It's like candy for my ears. It's like candy for so my good. ears. 
<laughs> oh my god. Um, so I was I was doubled over <laughs> the time. Uh, so yeah, yeah, uh, that's great. I need to listen to that again. That's yes. awesome. So Chris, please call again. Yeah, <laughs> we, need, we need more of that. It's like candy five ears. Hey, hey, Chris. Hey, Chris. <laughs> yeah, can we turn around and let my? <laughs> I like to. Uh, we gotta go. He called. He called out the sparks. Yeah. Which I loved. Um, and he, he told him like we we gotta uh, pick up Duke. We gotta rescue Duke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because he's captured again. Right. <laughs> so um, I thought it was yeah it was brilliant. I, I especially love it anytime uh, someone refers to things that have happened on the shows. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, before one last thing, and we're gonna make this quick, um, but it's been a long time coming. Before we get into the the meat of the episode with the stories um because i don't have a lot of extra material for these stories uh because i kind of covered it last time we did uh this time period in star wars um i wanted to announce the results of the roadhouse awards so oh very cool um i tallied up all the votes and i have the results here Should be able to go through these pretty quick here. So, best Star Joe's writer of 2013. Uh, the nominees were Brian Wood, Mike Costa, Bobby Kernow, Kevin Eastman, and Tom Waltz uh, for Turtles. Those three last three were for Turtles. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a write-in vote for Keith Giffen for Masters of the Universe. Oh right. Um, but the winner was Brian Wood by a landslide. Uh, mm-hmm. for star, his work on Star Wars. I don't think that was a big surprise there. Um, best Star Joe's Artist of 2013. The nominees were Carlos Dianda, uh, Jan Dersema, John Royal, Mateus Santoluco, Popman, and Shannon Gallant. And the winner was Popman mm. by a hair. Really? <laughs> who, is, who came and running up? Uh, Shannon Gallant and Mateus Santoluco. Yeah. So Mateus was uh, TMNT, Shannon, G.I. Joe, American Hero, and Potman for his work on He-Man, Master of the Universe. Cool. One by one vote. Oh, so. Yeah, close one. Star Joe's best, uh, best Star Joe's cover of 2013. The nominees were He-Man and Master of the Universe, miniseries number six, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number 22, cover A, uh, Star Wars number one, The Star Wars number one, Star Wars number 12, and He-Man the Masters Universe number one from uh, from the miniseries, which actually came out in 2012, and this again was Chuck manipulating his <laughs> nomination rights. Um, but the winner was He-Man the Masters Universe miniseries number six, uh, which was that uh, wraparound cover. Yeah. So it was awesome. That was uh, good. So very cool. 
Um, oh, and I need to throw this out there. Ch- uh, Chuck voted uh, two days ago because I texted him. <laughs> I said, hey, dude, I never got your votes. <laughs> so... Uh, you hear that? Uh, that did you hear that? Chuck? That was the sound of the bus that you just got thrown under. Did you he hear didn't that? Hear, he doesn't listen to us anymore. He he doesn't <laughs> listen to us anymore. Uh, best Star Joe's ongoing comic series of 2013. The nominees were Teenage Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles: The Animated Adventures, Star Wars, He Man, and the Masters of the Universe. And there was a write-in vote for Cobra Files. Mm, yeah. Uh, the winner by one vote was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, wow. So what was runner-up? Star Wars. Yeah. Those are both really good series. Yeah. Uh, Best Star Joe's one-shot or miniseries of 2013. The nominees were G.I. Joe Danger Girl, Star Wars Dark Times A Spark Remains, Transformers Fall of Cybertron, DC Universe vs. Masters of the Universe, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles The Secret History of the Foot Clan, and He-Man and the Masters of the Universe uh, miniseries. The winner was G.I. Joe Danger Girl. Nice. And by a f- uh, hefty amount, about mm. three or four votes. So. Cool. Um, best Star Joe Story of 2013. The nominees were City Fall from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles uh, and The House Always Wins from Cobra Files. And we had a write-in vote of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe miniseries, just num- the issue number six right. came out. So uh, the winner by quite a large margin was City Fall. Yeah, man, Turtles are tearing it up. Yeah, they are. Uh, worst Star Joe story of 2013. <laughs> the nominees were This uh, This is Voltron, Ten Lions, uh, less than zero, which came from Transformers Regeneration One, uh, Origin of Hordak, and Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow number twenty-one. Wah And the winner was, or loser, I guess, uh, was Voltron. <laughs> yeah. Uh, although Snake Eyes number twenty-one, <laughs> really close. <laughs> All right. Star Joe's character with the best... It's good to know I can make the list at some point. Yes, yes. That's good. Um, Star Joe's character with the best year in 2013. Uh, The nominees were He-Man, Abby Chase, Mainframe, Hordak, and Luke Skywalker. Mm. And the winner was He-Man. Yeah. By a hefty margin, so... Uh, Star Joe's character with the worst year in 2013. Uh, The nominees were Clockspring... Leonardo, King Randor, Bumblebee, and Voltron. And the winner, or again, possibly loser, <laughs> was Clockspring. Ah, uh, okay. So uh, cool. that was pretty decided. Uh, best Star Joe's podcast episode of 2013. Uh, the nominees were episode 94, Half a Duck, the Star Joe's at JoeCon special. Uh, episode 95, the voice actors panel at JoeCon 2013. Uh, episode 96, Star Joe's a real American or a real animated hero, and episode 100, a conversation with everyone, and there was a write-in vote for Chuck Declassified. Mm. That was not written in by Chuck, so right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the winning uh, episode was episode 100, a conversation with everyone, and it only won by one vote. Oh, really? Yeah. So, yeah. So, what was the runner up? Uh, runners up were a voice actor panel and a real animated hero. Cool. So, those both uh, were tied. 
Then the best Star Joe's uh, podcast related moment for 2013. Uh, the nominees were Robert's impersonation of Torpedo, <laughs> talking to Bill Ratner, uh, Bill, uh, Baltimore Con 2013, Joe Con 2013, and Columbus Toy Show 2013. And this one seemed to start going in one direction until I posted the the uh, survey on Facebook, and then the fans came out <laughs> and voted for Robert's impersonation <laughs> of Torpedo. Hey! Hey! Hey, everybody! Get in the water! A very close second was talking to Bill Ratner. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. It should totally be the moment talking to Bill Ratner, but I'm glad uh, people will always remember. Remember Torpedo, that's good. Yes, there was people that said, like, uh, <laughs> I could vote for something else, but every time I need a good laugh, I think of Robert Torpedo. <laughs> so, oh, man. Um, the best ammo dump of 2013. Uh, the nominees were The Superior Foes of Spider-Man, Skyward, All-New X-Men, Hawk, uh, Hawkeye, Daredevil, and The Valiant Line of Titles. Mm, yeah. uh, and there was actually a tie winner in this one. Uh, the, and the winners were Skyward and All New X Men. Cool. So, yeah, congratulations to Jeremy Dale. This yeah, awesome. Yeah, it's a great series. I love it. So, um, he's in good company with All New X Men. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, best Star Joe's related stuff in other media. The nominees were Star Joe's, uh, or wait, Star Wars. I had Star Joe's written down. Star mm-hmm. Wars Six Inch Black series. Can you imagine six-inch figures with the Star Joes guys? <laughs> I don't want to hear anything about a Star Joes six-inch black series. That's right. RHP. Um, <laughs> you brought it up. I know. I shouldn't have. I'm re- totally regretting it at this point. Speaking of bringing things up. <laughs> oh, my um, G.I. G. Joe Creo figures. Uh, Transformers Metroplex figure. Transformers Masterpiece series. TMNT action figures and Mattel's Castle Grey Skull, and the winner was Star Wars Six Inch Black Series. Yeah. Uh, and then, last but not least, the Star Joe's related thing that you were most looking forward to in 2014, and the nominees were news of what Marvel will be doing once they take over the Star Wars comics, uh, new GI Joe toys. Star Wars 6-inch Black Series, Jabba the Hutt and Biker Scout, uh, G.I. Joe Creo, Cobra Terradrome, TMNT Movie, Star Wars Movie News, and Transformers Legacy Book. And there was a write-in vote for Star Wars Rebels. Mm, yeah. Uh, there was a tie in this as well. The winners were Star Wars 6-inch Black Series, Jabba the Hutt and Biker Scout, and Transformers Legacy Book. Uh, cool. so evidently a lot of people are really looking forward to that legacy book. I know I'm looking forward to it. So it, Yeah, and I, I made the list on that part, I guess, because I did the artwork for the Star the Star Wars Black Series yeah. for the Job of the Hut and there the Biker Scout. So. And it's all about you, Robert. So. I know, exactly. That's all I'm waiting for. <laughs> Everyone now 
Welcome to a collaboration between the GeekCast Radio Network and the Pop Culture Network. This is From the Command Center, the podcast. I am your host, TFG and Mike from the GCRN, and joining me is Zordon himself. Uh, oh, wait. I mean, Scotty Cash. That's right. Scotty Cash from the Pop Culture Network. And today we're introducing you to the audio version of From the Command Center, the podcast that will tell our intake on Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, the episodes, the seasons, and all that other good stuff. Movie Week in Review is the GeekCast Radio Network's weekly movie podcast. Steve and Mike take a look back on their favorite films and give you their thoughts. They also bring in co-hosts at times. If you are a movie buff, listen to M-Wire only on geekcastradio.com. To Cybertron. Thank you, Soundwave. I am TFG1 Mike, and you should be listening to my very first podcast, the TFG1 Podcast. 24 episodes covering the entire U.S. run of the 1984 Transformers cartoon. Also, a few supplemental episodes in an interview with Stan Bush. So, check out the TFG1 Podcast. You can find it on iTunes and the web at www.geekcastradio.com. Transforming Rollout. Tooncast is dedicated to the cartoons we grew up with. 100 episodes and more make up one of the GCRN's most popular podcasts. Join hosts TFG and Mike, Optimus Solo, Terror the Rising Star, and tons of guest hosts. We also have voice actor and writer interviews. Tune in to Tooncast as we look back on the cartoons that defined us as geeks. You can find Tooncast on iTunes and the web at www.geekcastradio.com. Tune in. So, we are now going to be covering Star Wars Lost Tribe of the Sith. Uh, and the stories we're going to be covering are uh, Savior, Purgatory, and Sentinel. As always, Robert, feel free to jump in with anything okay. that stood out for you. And uh, I'll jump right into the summary here. So, Savior, compared to the last time, Savior is uh, takes place 4,975 years before the Battle of Yavin. It's been 10 years since the last story that we covered. Right. Um, and it's been 25 years since the Omen originally crashed on the planet of Kesh. Okay. So that's the, the time period we're dealing with. Right. Omen, Omen was the, the ship, you know, that they were, all the Siths were in as they were trying to make a run. And right. they had all the supply of crystals crash landed in the, uh, you yep. know, on, on this planet of Kesh. And so it's kind of setting the stage. We went over all this earlier as they establish themselves as a dominant kind of uh, glorified race on this world. but yeah. And uh, Corson and his people now live among the Kashiri. Uh, there is a big ceremony for Corson and Sila's new home uh, because it just got finished. Uh, it was built on what used to be the town square. Right. And uh, Adari 
is present and still not liked by Sela. <laughs> no, uh, they never Cor- liked each other. <laughs> no, Corson and Sela's daughter Nida N I D A is now twenty, mm-hmm. and she's in charge of the Skyborn Rangers, uh, which was a group of Sith that rode the Uvak, which are like the big beast, winged beasts. Yeah, uh, and they kind of ride them as a hobby. Uh, it was good for public displays. Well, they, um, the Sith had kind of um, put a ban on allowing the Kashiri to fly the, the Uvak, which you know, yes. there was a long-standing tradition of, of the Uvak riders. They were called the what? I don't even remember. I forget. There was, they had a specific <laughs> name, like those yeah. who, were, who, who rode the Uvak around, and they were, and they were kind of admired and, and um, you know, like... The Nestovar. Yeah, Nest. the Nest, yeah, exactly, the Nestovar. So they, they were kind of a higher rank or class, you know, than, than the average Kashiri. And the fact that they took the Uvak away kind of, you know, they, and now the, the Nestovar were kind of relegated to just being uh, beast handlers, you know, like, yeah. like taking care of them in the stables and getting them prepped for the Sith to ride them, that kind of stuff. Yep, exactly. So, and then... Um, only Kashiri that was still allowed to fly an Estevar was Adari, Adari, so that she could come and visit Corson. Exactly, um, Jeriad, which was uh, Devor and Sila's son, and Devor was Corson's brother who he killed. Um, right. Yeah. Uh, so Jeriad arrives and he leads an, like this acrobatic type group called the Sabers. Uh, again, kind of like a display type thing. Um, and he is announced as High Lord Jariad by Gloyd. And Gloyd was the uh, hook. Uh, yeah, he was like, it's H-O-U-K. Um, yeah. He was kind of the last survivor of his race, you know, type of species of alien. Uh, yep. But he's like the right-hand man, bodyguard of Corson. He's not incredibly intelligent, but he's a, an awesome fighter and really strong and, and very yep. loyal. Yep. Um, so Jerry embraces Corson and goes to his mother, who whispers to him uh, the word soon. Uh, it is revealed that Sila saw Devor fall from his death from Adari's memory years ago when she right. first invaded Adari's mind. So the Sith are kind of mind readers, you know, like they can see specific moments or through their eyes from their memories. Yeah. Uh, and so that's how she kind of gained the knowledge of, of exactly... Or just, I mean, I think just that Corson had killed Devor, but um, or Devor, but um, I forgot that Devor was so like hopped up on drugs, you know, that, oh, he, was, yeah. that he was just uh, manic and yep. and beyond reason, which was a big part of why Corson killed him, right? Or pushed him off the edge, or, or however that I forget yeah. how that all worked out, but and Sela doesn't know that she doesn't think that way. Yeah, she, they, she just thinks of her husband as the man she married and, and right. that Corson is an evil person for killing Devor, you know, that he did right. it just to be in power. And that's right. what she teaches her son, Jared. Yep. And uh, ever since she's had this knowledge of uh, Corson killing Devor, she's been winning followers over to her side. Yeah, it's a lot of secret plotting and very Sith-type maneuvering. So then we get into Chapter 2. Uh, where Adari comes to visit Corson, uh, but in actuality, it's to retrieve her son, uh, Tona, T-O-N-A, right. uh, for what she refers to as family business. Uh, Jerry had says he, he is going to take the Sabres to the Northern Reaches for training, uh, and it is noticed that Tona seems to like Nita, and I, again, N-I-D-A, which is the daughter of Corson, so he seems, <laughs> seems to be attracted to her. Right. 
Now, um, now, now, Nita is kind of tossed aside by Sila. Like, yeah, Sila just wanted her to be born to basically to combine their marriage, you know, or, or to say right. that that their marriage was valid. Um, but at the but she wanted nothing to do with her daughter. So she like had her raised by uh, other people and, and nursemaids and, and people to tutor her as she got older and just completely away from their home or compound. I mean, she just wanted nothing to do with her, but, and that's why she was put in later. charge. Yeah. And that's why she was put in charge of the Skyborn Rangers. Cause it was just kind of something to keep her busy. Yeah. Um, and everything. So, uh, Adari brought the, uh, so we go back to Adari and she brought the Neshtavar, uh, in on the underground plan to overthrow the Sith. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she's we, kind of building up a resistance. Yep. Uh, we find out that the Sith now number 600, which is almost double what they were when they first arrived. Yeah, a lot of baby making. Yep. <laughs> uh, the Neshtavar are reduced to taking care of the Uvak and cleaning their stables, but are no longer allowed to ride them, as you had mentioned earlier. Uh, Adarius, and, and, and that's a big yeah. part of their willingness to join the resistance is because they kind of see it not not even just a loss of their status, but just that they um, that was a huge part of their lives being able to yeah. ride the Uvak, and they feel a connection to the beasts, and they feel like they're um, it was a part of their culture that was taken away from them, and so I mean that gives them reason enough to try and join or to join the resistance, and we find a little bit more out about their plans later. Yeah, I mean, imagine you're at the 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 height, you're at the the pinnacle of society, and now you're being reduced to. Uh, cleaning stables mm-hmm. um it it just it took a lot out of them and then like you said you add the fact that they are connected to these beasts and they see how they're treated and everything else so well, and it'd be one thing if they were just kind of thrown out on the street or told to go right. do something else with their lives but every day they're working with the animals that they're um you know not allowed to fly yeah so it's like every day they're reminded of it yep so adari is still allowed to ride nink uh which was uh her husband's uh, Uvak. Right. Um, there is a coordinated plan for the next day, which appears will mean Adari's death. Uh, she kind of says something that makes makes them believe that she's not coming back from this. Right. So the, um, part of their secret plans. Yep. Uh, Sila admires her work in the med centers and how it will mean nothing but human Sith on on cash in a few generations. Well, and part of this, they're still talking about how they've moved from the temple up on the mountain that they've built. Right. And all of the um, the med centers and stuff like that is still up there, uh, yep. like the the best you know supplies and technology and stuff is still up there. So they're talking. She was up there, kind of surveying it as they're about to move it. And yep. And uh, Corson arrives and greets her. At that moment, Sila concentrates out the thought. Now, Jared. So basically, Sila uh, was waiting for Corson to show up, mm-hmm. and uh, so we get into chapter three. Uh, Jared and all of his uh, saber team is surrounded by Corson, uh, or surrounds Corson, Gloyd, and two bodyguards. Sila uh, reveals that she knows Corson killed Devor. Uh, just then, uh, the Uvak, the sabers, rode fly off without them. Corson to this uh, uses this as an opportunity uh, as he and Gloyd head for a possible escape up some stairs. Right, so they're trying to use it as a distraction. Like all of a sudden, all the Uvak go flying away, and everybody's looking up, like, "What?" You know, and yeah. nobody knows who planned this because obviously Seal has been planning this like kind of backhanded attack to take out Corson. 
Right. And it just coincided coincidentally with the exact same time that Adari, <laughs> you know, maneuvered the uh, the resistance. Um, yeah. Not it wasn't an attack, but it was just a move basically to take away uh, the Sith's um, transportation, uh, transportation basically. and ability yeah. yeah, and air supremacy and and yep. being able to transfer messages quickly, all that kind of stuff. So it was a yep. huge tool that the Sith used that was taken away from the the, the Kashiri. So yep. uh, it just happened to be at the exact same moment, and nobody and both sides of the Sith, this little Sith skirmish, think you know or don't know if it was a a maneuver or something that they did. Right. So Adari is trying to lead all of the Uvak uh, while she's on Nink. Uh, and she wants to lead them towards a place called the Cecil Spire, where there's all these winds and there's this huge vortex, um, and it would send all of them into a watery grave, basically. Yeah, this this whole plot point was a little weird to me. Yeah, <laughs> like or the idea is that like if we can't fly them, then nobody, nobody will, can. <laughs> and we're gonna kill this entire race of creatures. Like I just yeah. don't see how this is, and for her to. Um, I understand that she would need to ride Nink because he's the oldest and kind of the strongest of all the Uvac and that they would follow him. Yeah. But just it just seems very it's a very strange plot. Why not yeah, why not twist. just do a power move of like taking the the <laughs> taking the air attack? I know, and, or just you know, taking them to a more remote location, like if the Sith don't have Uvac to ride, right. take them someplace they can't get to Easily, I mean, there's not like there's a uh, ground speeders or anything like that. You know, right. like they would have to march to wherever you know, that could take weeks or months to get to, where you could just easily fly to in a day or two. You know, yeah, like just take them away and raise them somewhere else, like out of out of sight, out of mind. They don't know where they're at. You know, just keep them hidden. Yeah, just and do what like, do what the Ewoks and the gliders <laughs> did, and they just drop rocks down on the <laughs> different Sith. I mean, I think the point she makes is that. Uh, the Sith were so much more powerful. Yeah. That uh, you know, as it is, they were powerful enough. If we take away their air supremacy, then um, you know, even to their 600, there are so many thousands and thousands of Kashiri. Yeah. The idea is that they could rise up and still overtake them. Yeah, and they wanted to do it while they still outnumbered them. So yeah, and then this way, by taking their transportation away, they would they would not be able to get like reinforcements and things like that. So even she, they were thinking, even if it takes thousands of Kashiri to take out the Sith in one area, at least then that that would be uh, their own area, and then they could work on the next one and the next one and everything right. else. So so, so she's so she uh, has went to this spire or this basically this mountain. Uh, that's her plan, but she needs to wait there for the rest of the Kashiri and Uvak to meet with her because that was the plan they had. You know, that secret meeting was to how how they were going to round up all these Uvak. Right. So she did her part. She had hers, yep. and she rounded up all the ones from the Sith Temple, and she's waiting for others to meet with her. Yep. Uh, Corson and Gloyd uh, were separated, and Jerry had fought with his with his sabers against Corson. Jerry had forced Corson out to the edge where Corson and Devor previously fought. So, you know, kind of fitting. Right. Uh, Jerry was, uh, was wounding Corson and Sela was going to go to where Gloyd was fighting the other sabers. But just then an Uvak came flying in and landed and on it was Nita. Right. And Corson's daughter. Yep. And that's where chapter, uh, then we go into chapter four. Uh, so it's revealed that Corson had been secretly training Nita in the dark side through those loyal to him. 
I uh, really liked this plot point. Oh, like the whole yeah. idea of using Nita. Uh, he knew that Sila was kind of just pushing her away and, and didn't think anything else of her. It was completely underestimated uh, the kind of tool or, or use of her daughter. Whereas Corson saw it as awesome potential. And then so as Sila was pushing her away, he was training her, uh, training her and endearing himself to her and showing her how to be a good leader, yeah. teaching her in the ways of the dark side, how to be a good fighter, all these yeah. things, how to be powerful. And so when she comes crushing in, like it completely turns the tide. And her appointment as the head of the Skyborn Rangers was so she could travel in secret for training uh, to be his successor and the true heir and savior. Hence right. where the name of the of this uh, novella came from, a savior. Right. Um, so Nita is cut down, uh, cut down some sabers, and then started to fight Jared. So it's basically half brother versus half sister. Mm-hmm. Um, Jared had already mortally wounded Corson, so Corson called out to Jared, "It's time for me to go, but not without my last official act, and it's overdue." Um. And then we it's it changes scenes over to Adari, who's at the spire, but there uh, were not as many Uvak there as there should be. Uh, a report confirms to her uh, her fear that Tona, her son, revealed the plan to Nita, who stopped it from happening. Right. So she took her Skyborn Rangers and and uh, rounded up whatever Uvak she could. Mm-hmm. Uh, before um, yeah, Dari's plan went took place, and so there are still Uvak uh, under Sith control, uh, just not as many as there were. Yeah, and Adari flew out uh, to her demise and expected the others to go back. Like she was just going to fly off, and she ordered the others to go back um, and black and blend back into society. But they all followed her instead. Uh, they found a remote island days away. Uh, they were like just completely, you know, wiped out. By yeah, the they were just gassed. There. I mean, they've been flying and flying. The idea is that they would just fly until exhausted and then fall into the sea and drown. Like, that's right. her plan. And but then they found an island. As it turns out, they just come across this sliver of an island that's just made of volcanic rock. There's nothing much there to sustain them. Um, and uh, so her Uvak Nink dies, yep. basically, from exhaustion. And um, they realized that they would have to call some of the other Uvaks. Uh, due to the limited number of amount of resources and they would use some of them to build shelters. Uh, but that this little Island would now be their new home. Right. So they just left like, it just reinforces how terrible this idea was. So because they're still alive, they're not willing to just kill themselves. You know, they're like, okay, well we landed on this crappy Island. Let's make the best of it. And it's just like a horrible living conditions. Like now they're going to have to work really hard just to barely survive. And they put themselves in this position. It's just totally ridiculous to me. Yep. So then we get uh, Sila. She wakes up on a on a slab, uh, yeah. but realized her legs were damaged by the blast caused by uh, Gloyd as a last defense. So basically what happened is oh, she right. walks into this room, and there's Gloyd, and he's got these explosives, and he just unleashes them as a last uh, effort by himself. And that's just... Just as a way to take out the rest of the sabers. Yeah. The Sith yep. Sabers, and he has this proton detonator. Yep. He just blows up the whole <laughs> the whole room of people, and she was yep. caught in the blast. Yep, and it, it damaged her legs. Uh, Nita enters the room. Uh, Nita explains that she thwarted the plans to steal the Uvox, uh, but it took longer than she expected, so she was too late to save her father. Right, but uh, she had 
kill Jared. Yeah, so Sila asks about Jared, and Nita explains that Corson tried to force throw him over the edge, but when Corson couldn't do it, she did. Right. Um, so Nita's uh, cold. <laughs> well, and as part of it, you know, Corson trained her on how to yeah. take care of business. So and they are Sith. So I yeah. mean, so Nita explains she is the Grand Lord now, and per a new custom, no one is allowed back to the Omen. Uh, so Sila is left there with the Omen closed off, and the steps down to the mountain are barricaded. So Sila's only shelter is the temple that she always hated. Yeah, and just leaves her there. Yep. Nita explains that the trained Uvak will drop fruit and vegetables from above for Sila. And uh, she also explains that the last will of Corson is that anyone associated with the, uh, what was it, the, with the previous Grand Lord yeah. uh, would be executed. So that there was no chance. So basically what this did, what this allowed was for anyone that was following Sila to be killed. Mm-hmm. So... It was a way to get rid of Sila's followers, right? By just a complete it in purge from the from the resistance, yeah, so, you know, or for the maneuvering she was doing to try and take over. So this way, when Nita took her position as the Grand Lord, there would be no resistance left, right? Um, and then uh, Nita leaves and uh, leaves her mother behind, basically, <laughs> which is exactly what she did to her. So I, yeah. I, I found I didn't, I well, wasn't feeling poetic. bad for Sila or anything. Yeah. No. But I just I just wonder like can you imagine being like dropped off someplace and being told you'll have food food will be dropped off for you but this is the only area you can stay in <laughs> yeah but you can't use your legs and right. you'll you won't ever see any, another person until you die right that's it it's cold but it's very fitting so, so it's you just kind of left in this very beautiful beautifully built temple yep. prison <laughs> so so now we get uh, we go into the story purgatory. Yeah, I was confused when this one started. <laughs> yeah, you and me both. And then I was I like, realized... what? Because I was so excited to see a story about Nita. Yeah, oh, me too. And uh, so anyway, we'll go that didn't, And that didn't happen. <laughs> no, so, not at all. So now, and here's the thing too with this kind of uh, going into that, is this is where it's a shame that there's not going to be more of this EU. Because it would be so easy to go back into these stories and flesh out some of this time period a little bit more. So, Well, I kind of felt as I was reading these, I think maybe more so than the first three we read, that each of these could have been a much longer book. Oh, yeah. Especially this, the, especially Savior. Like, oh, Savior yeah. just seemed like the cliff notes of a much better, bigger novel. Yep. I agree. <laughs> I, no, like, I, I totally agree. I was like, there's more so much more ready or or the first act in a larger story where we then see Nita come to power and maybe her ultimate demise or or whatever you know like I felt like I thought that was going to be the next yep. story I thought that was going to be purgatory something to do with Nita but well and I thought when it said when the t- next title was purgatory what I actually thought my first thought was that we're going to now see Adari and those people on that island Oh right yeah yeah or because you know it's. I was thinking, okay, purgatory. These people are exiled onto this island. How are they going to survive? I thought for sure that's what we were going to see. Even yeah. though I saw the time jump, I thought, okay, we're going to get some. We're still going to go to that island and see how did they survive, or at least hear about how they sur- survived. Yeah, I and I didn't notice the time jump until I was already like a page or two into it. And I'm like, wait, what? what, what and then I went back and looked, here? and I was like, 
<laughs> Holy crap! Like I, I just it makes such a huge jump. That's why it does. Like you said, I mean, they could easily go back and tell these stories. I mean, they left a thousand year gap. A thousand fifteen years is the and difference. And you're like, wow, that's a huge jump. But yeah, there's so much story that could be told there. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So this purgatory takes place in uh, three thousand nine hundred and sixty years before the Battle of Yavin. Again, a thousand fifteen years later. Mm-hmm. Um. So you get into chapter one. We have a character named Ori Katai, uh, who watches an old man named Jelf of Marasota. Yeah. And he's raking some soil. Uh, she's there to get some special flowers called Dalsa. And only he has, uh, has them for the upcoming Donalyn Day. And what Donalyn Day was, Donalyn was the son of Lord Nita. Right. So the first, so we, so we know Nita, she comes to power. She gets, you know, she has a, ends up with a family of her own and a son. Yeah. Um, and so this is a, uh, a celebration basically in honor of this guy. Yeah. Donalyn's father was supposed to die after Nita's passing per Corson's will. Mm-hmm. But Nita's only son passed before Nita died, uh, before Nita did. So since she was heirless, Nita instituted that uh, succession would be based on merit. Right. So she didn't have a son, you know, right. that could uh, take over. And part of it is the idea is that everybody just kind of blames uh, Donalyn that he waited too long. Yeah. Like that. the whole idea of the Sith is that you connive and you overtake those in power. And if you're basically even if it's a dynastic system that the son would then or daughter would basically kill whoever's in charge or maneuver their way into position of power and then be basically based on merit too, but, but yeah. would be the new ruler. Well, they, they recognize Donalyn not because he was a great man or because he um, did great things, but just as a reminder that if you're too patient, right, that, that doesn't do you any good. So you can do all of the behind the scenes manipulating that you want, but if you don't make your final move, you're wasting your time and, 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 you, and you can be too patient. So, yeah. And, and we all know the Sith are not known for their patience. No, exactly. So he was kind <laughs> so. of, it's kind of like a recognition of his failure, but right. as a reminder to not be that way. And so right. it's, so they have this Donalyn day. It's kind of a slap in the face to that guy in particular, <laughs> but you know, they, they may, they say, well, we, that's never happened since in the thousand years since, you know, we've right. never had somebody be, you know, wait too long before they overtook who was in charge. Right, and what we actually find out is the Sith are more cutthroat than ever. Uh, yeah, it, it's basically if as soon as you're Grand Lord, you're basically watching your back. Watching your back, and you have to surround day. yourself by people you completely trust, and that's hard hard thing to do. So yeah, and even them you can't trust. So. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you like because they want that position of power. So yeah. it starts up a new kind of a system of lords. Yes. Uh, Lords of the Sith. So you have the Grand Lord is the is whoever is in charge, and you then have you the high have Lords, then you have a series a council of high lords of the tribe. Yeah. So yeah, so then Ori believes that uh, Jelf was once a Sith, though he denies it because he's human, and I think she recognizes that he's force sensitive. Yes. So that's what she she then just makes the assumption that he's a Sith. But what we, we find out about the way that the class system works. That there are Sith who are kind of relegated right, to, so. uh, they lose their name, they lose their title, they lose any kind of benefits of being a Sith, you know, within this uh, class system. They're better than slaves, but for the most part, any Sith can tell them what to do. 
Yeah, they're they're basically they're above the Kashiri, but they're still pretty low. Yeah. Um, and this is why she believes this is why he's known as Jelf of Marisota because he doesn't have a last name. Right. Um, so and th- so that's why she's believing this. Um, so we find out that this uh, the Sabers are a force that Ori is a part of. So basically, that whole group that Jared was a part of actually becomes like this fighting force. Yeah, it's uh, like in when he was kind of teaching them and it, it was it was kind of a joke. Like they weren't really right. good fighters or anything, but that was the beginnings of a of a new warrior class. Yeah. Um and like you said there is a class system the Kashiri are the lowest level. Uh Jelf gave Ori a special harness made for her which she can uh which would help her carry flowers with water in the containers. So he helps her put that on the Uvak, and her Uvak's name is Shin, S-H-I-N, or S-H-Y-N, not I-N, Y-N. Um, and then as Ori leaves, Jelf says, I may not be of the tribe, but at least I've got a ship, such as it is. Yeah. So she doesn't really hear him say that, but this plays a big factor later. <laughs> yeah, big time. <laughs> so then we go into chapter two. Which I don't really know why he would say that. Yeah, I don't. Why either. would you say that out loud? But well, okay. and I think what he's referring, what she thinks he's referring to, is he's got a ship like on the water because they do live on the river. Yeah, yeah. So he's got his little boat thing. So, okay. um, so in chapter two, we discover that the lignin crystals are only known for lightsabers at this point. Uh, the workings of the omen have been lost, and the area is still off limits. So it's kind of become that that ghost area you don't go to. Yeah. <laughs> Um, it's believed that Nagasato uh, lost years ago in the big battle. Uh, and again, Nagasato is his story you can find and follow in the Tales of the Jedi uh, comic book series. Oh, okay. So uh, the Jedi are taught to be hated. So, like, basically you grow up as a Sith and you're taught the Jedi are evil. There's none here, but... You know, if you ever run into one, basically kill it. They're like the boogeyman of the universe, you know. Like yeah. They're not here, but, yeah, they're the bad guys. And they're almost taught as that the Jedi were the evil ones and the Sith were the good. Uh, from a certain it, point of view. Yeah, from a certain point of view. <laughs> You're going to find that many things rely <laughs> on your own point of view. Uh, so there's been uh, no focus to get off planet, uh, which can be only be decided by the Grand Lord, and Ori knows that the current Grand Lord, which is known as Grand Lord Lord Ven, uh, she is the biggest nothing to do, to hold the position, according to her. Right. So then we see uh, Ori's mom, Kandra uh, Kate. Well, I would say that it's always yeah. been um, a point of contention from the for the Sith here on Kashiri, like whether they try to get off planet or whether they just settle here because it's not a bad life. They're in charge. They, they right. have power. And like Corson kind of recognized, look, we're not getting off this rock, but he never came out and said that because then it would divide the Sith right. and they would be, they'd have a civil war over it. And I just found it's interesting how this continues to be a, you would think a thousand years later, they would have just accepted their fate instead of people still thinking, Hey, there's a way off. You well, know? And I'm it, like, and what? it's, yeah. And it's so interesting to, uh, this is the thing I did find interesting with this thousand year jump is that the things that were kind of silly or things that were done for a particular reason back then are now like gospel now. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, so it's, 
well ingrained in part of their culture and how how people are put into various caste systems or how people interact with each other. Yeah, or there is the there's still the tradition that when a grand lord dies, that you kill right. everyone associated. With them. I know. Yeah, it's like yeah, that was just a move, basically, for Corson to um, get rid of protect Nita. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And but then that becomes, you know, like a huge. That's uh, the law now. That's the law. So then you just have like mass murders whenever some a new grand lord takes place takes yeah. over. So Ori's mom, Kandra uh, Katai. Uh, was the newest High Lord. Uh, they were they've been invited to the stadium to watch the Skyborn Rangers. So that still right. is around. Uh, enter with Uvox that were altered for battle to do what's called rake riding, which is basically uh, they have a rider on them and they have these like mechanical things attached to them, surgically attached to them, and they just basically bash the hell out of each other till there's one that's still living. Right, like they can't fly. Their wings are cut at birth. Yeah. So it's basically like um, cyborg ostrich racing. Yeah, <laughs> basically. Kind of the way I pictured it. <laughs> a very interesting way. To, <laughs> I don't know where your mind goes sometimes. <laughs> um, Kandra and Ori supported uh, Campion Day. That's, his, that's who their rider is. Right. Uh, and he was an Uvak Wrangler. Uh, he salutes them, and Ori believes that he could do well. He would do well, but Condra believes that he'll, he's going to die. <laughs> now, okay, at at this point of the book, I was still having a hard time caring. <laughs> like, did you find that at all? Or? Yeah, and I think it's because it. it know what it reminded me of? It. it I, I hate to make this. <laughs> I hate to make this uh, analogy, but it reminds me of the sections of the Bible where it's like so and so begat so and so, and so and so begat so and so. It yeah. was like they're all like for pages they're in this stadium, and we're kind of learning about everything that has happened up to this point. Um, but we're still in the stadium; like nothing has happened yet in the stadium. It's yeah, just... it seems like um, they're trying to uh, inform the reader about this huge time jump and some of the things that happened uh to make it feel like okay now we're in this new time period but they're kind of taking forever to do that yeah and it's all just exposition nothing's really happening in the plot and i still don't care about these characters right and like and like you said with the other one they could almost have made this into a book and they could have led up to her you know condra becoming the new high lord and them picking campion and things like that like how do they know campion and stuff like that like yeah there's a lot it's like i said it's like cliff notes i mean because these stories are so short i yeah i like that you can get through a story very quickly and it doesn't take a lot of time investment to read these books but um but I feel like, yeah, there's some areas of the books just are so bare bones. Yeah. They, it's just they, like spoon fed to you. Here's a new yeah. character. Here's a new character. This is what they do. Boom, boom, boom. And there's right. just kind of no subtext. Well, and I never know when, when it's going to be an important character because I'm taking yeah. notes as I'm reading it. And I don't, I don't want to take notes at the end when I'm all done because that's you know 30, 40 pages that I just read, and I'm not going to remember everything that happened. And I'm certainly not going to read it again to take notes. So you're taking notes on these characters, and then they don't ever show up again, and they were they meant nothing to the plot. You're like, right. Oh. So sometimes like I have to go back in and write notes in and, and stuff like that because <laughs> that character ended up being important. Like to give you a great idea was when we were talking about the servant before. Yeah. Uh, in the the previous story. 
he was all of a sudden became really important in that one story. And I was like, okay, I got to write stuff down now about him. And then we never see him again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was like, what? Yeah, things get dropped off a little bit in these series. So, so sorry to interject there and kind no, of take it okay. sideways. But I, that's how I was feeling right about this point in the book. Yeah. Through the races and stuff. And I'm like, I, I don't really care about races. Like, I was more interested in all of the Sith maneuvering and finding now out that, who yeah, Jelf was. Yeah, I was going to say, now that being said, I do think this story starts getting good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it, it, for me, it took a little bit. Yeah. Um, so we have, uh, to much of everyone's surprise, Campion's Uvak takes to the air, because remember, they're not supposed to be able to right. fly, and heads towards the Grand Lord uh, with his lightsaber drawn. Uh, so Grand- then all of a sudden you're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> So Grand Lord Ven unleashes dark side energy at the Uvak, and her guards. Uh, which now is are, that Force Lightning? What does that mean? Dark side, dark side energy. That's how I took it. I took it like the Emperor's lightning okay. bolts. That's how I pictured it in my head. So, okay. um, so then the and her guards, the the Luzo brothers, which I thought was funny. The <laughs> Luzo. They're you're a Luzo. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so they draw their lightsabers and go after the assassin. Right. Uh, Ori t- uh, takes defen- a defensive stance to protect her mother. Uh, and Ori asks her mother if she was responsible for this because Ori thinks, like, this is a move by her mom to now become the Grand Lord. Right. Um, Kondra tells Ori to go to their estate and tells the aides that she won't be, and she says, tell the aides that I won't be home tonight. And then she disappears into the crowd. Uh, Ori returns to their estate and finds the Kashiri laborers taking their belongings and throwing it into a bonfire. <laughs> like, what? The slaves the went crazy. <laughs> slaves are like, let's have a party. <laughs> um, when asked, she grabs one of them and asks what they're doing. The Kashiri said that they were ordered by the Grand Lord a couple hours ago, which didn't make sense since the assassination attempt just happened a couple hours ago. Yeah. So it's like she knew this was happening. Um, Ori decides to leave on her Uvak uh, shin uh, to go to her. Initially, she's thinking to go to her apprentices uh, rather than face the Luzo brothers. Uh, and because uh, the Luzo brothers apprentices are all at the estate right now. Right. And uh, she believes that if she faces them, it's really a trap. So she wants to get out of there. And she's not even sure if she can go to her apprentices, so she um, she believes her mother could resolve this. And uh, there's a bunch of rumors that are flying as far as what happened and that certain people died and everything else. And she believes that if she just gets away for a little while, that her mom can resolve everything. So Ori decides to travel to Jelf's place. Right. And she tells him... I've uh, been condemned. I'm a slave. And thus ends that chapter. Now, here's another thing, too, with with this, Robert. Up until this point, I believe that Jelf was this old man. <laughs> right. Yeah, they, no, they don't say anything, I think, right. about describing his age or what he looked like. Right. Later on, we find out that he's probably a young guy. But up to this point, I'm thinking, like, He's an old man. <laughs> yeah, because he's like farming and taking care of like plants and right. you know what I mean, it just seems like a right. And and so it got a little creepy later on for me. <laughs> yeah, I can I'm, see that when I'm picturing this being an old guy. 
because <laughs> I picture Ori being like this young girl. And yeah. So um, you're like Joe, that pervert. Yeah, exactly. So we have chapter three, which is Ori spent the next several days at Jelf's home. She found out her mother, uh, (laughs) she finds out that her mother, Condra, survived, but's in captivity. Uh, The heads of the red and gold clans uh, were uh, decapitated by the Luzo brothers. Grand Lord Ven. That's what I thought every time. I know. I can't take it seriously. Like, <laughs> uh, Grand Lord Ven had eliminated her main competition, basically, is what, what had happened. I think uh, it's because when I read it, I just thought Luzo. Okay. Like, it's L-U-Z-O. And then, but uh, you call him Luzo every time. just cracks me out. Yeah. No, that's that's how I read it. Luzo, brother. <laughs> it's I fitting. It's, uh, not to spoil it, but it's fitting in the end. Uh, yeah, no. <laughs> Uh, Jelf pointed out to Ori that the Grand Lord saw Ori's mom as a threat in selecting the next Grand Lord. So Grand Lord Ven took her out, uh, took her out of the way by staging the whole thing. So mm-hmm. basically, Grand Lord Ven, who they thought was, who Ori at least thought was a big nothing, s- s- created this whole Behind thing. Behind it all, everything. Yeah, to create all of it, yeah. Uh, he pointed out that uh, the out the way to not be an example for others is to not go back even though Ori wants to do so. So basically he says, the best way for you not to fall into their trap is to not play their game. Right. And, uh, of course she won't listen to that, but... <laughs> yeah. So Ori uh, stays nine days so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jelf found himself attracted to her, so this is when it started getting creepy for me. <laughs> Uh, but he also knew she had to go. Uh, she couldn't stay there. So there was some reason why she couldn't stay. Uh, it was getting close to time for something and he couldn't have Ori wandering around in his absence, but he couldn't let her leave either. So his heart wanted her to stay, but he has something going on that makes him want her to go away. So... Uh, so we get into, into chapter four. Uh, Jelf leaves, and while he's gone, the Luzo brothers <laughs> uh, find uh, Ori, and they kill her Uvak, right. stating that slaves can't own Uvaks. Uh, they then say said that they came for a trade and presented two scrolls. Uh, the scrolls were confessions from Kandra stating that she organized everything. Uh, Ori then was forced by threats to hand over her lightsaber. Yeah. Uh, she was then given a shovel with a metal tip. And remember, if you remember from the earlier stories, metal is not on, plentiful on this planet. Right. So the only place that the metal could have come from is from the Omen. Right, with the uh, ship, yeah. Yep. So the, the Luzo brothers uh, leave laughing, leaving her with that shovel. So Ori, in anger, because she knows that her mom was forced to sign those confessions, uh, she starts lashing out at everything. But in doing so, she hits something metal hidden under a big pile of manure. <laughs> they make a lot of references to this manure pile, like all yes. this story. Yes, they do. Like, why are you talking about this pile of manure so much? Then we find out. And so I would say, surprisingly, it becomes really important. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, okay, maybe that's why you talk about it so much. <laughs> uh, so she, since she hit something uh, underneath it, she begins to dig. 
Yep. So what does she find in this huge pile of poo? <laughs> Another big pile of poo. No. <laughs> well, and the thing was, too, I'm thinking, like, no matter how angry or curious I am, I am not digging through a bunch of crap. <laughs> Uh, Someone could say there's gold under there. I'd be like, yeah, I'm just going to take your word for it. (laughs) That's nice. Uh, So then, actually, before we find out what was uncovered, uh, Jelf was searching uh, searching his traps, but he started to feel something was happening. And then he looks through the foliage through the west uh, and saw that what was happening, what he was feeling was happening, was happening right now. So he runs for his boat to get back to the farm. Uh, Ori uncovers a spacecraft under the manure and some cloth. So it wasn't they just covered the the, sh- the spaceship with manure. There's a cloth <laughs> and then manure on top of it. <laughs> right, that kept it sanitized. Luckily, right. uh, no. So it's a this Arik class tactical strike fighter. I mean, it's like it's not just a you know like a you know, but it's it's basically like a, a starfighter type you know, ship. And it has markings of the Republic fleet system. Yeah. Uh, this is when I was like, what? I was getting really excited at this point. Yeah. So Ori saw it as a way back in because she knows that the Republic fleet is tied into the Jedi. And she knows the Jedi are evil. So she sees this as her opportunity to get back in good graces with the Sith. I know. And that kind of drove me crazy, too. Like, I had a hard time liking the Ori character much at all and then seeing that like as i would start to like her then things like this would happen where yeah i really like the jelf character i thought he yeah. was cool. um well but... and that's probably why i didn't like her because like he was obviously uh you know starting to like her and there was a relationship going on and then i mean she was like humiliated right by the luzo brothers yeah. and then she's like Bruh, and then just tears up jelf's property you know what i mean she like goes crazy on his on his barn and his house and all the you know all this stuff just like destroying it and then, um, you know, comes across his starfighter or strike fighter or whatever. And yeah. her first thought is, ooh, this is how I can get in good with the Sith again. Uh, is totally, you know, throw Jelf under the bus. Yeah, and my only thought, though, is, though, and the thing I always had to keep reminding myself is that this is the Sith society. This is not a bunch of do-gooders. Um, so yeah, the yeah. fact that Jelf helped her really in her eyes doesn't mean anything if she can find a way to work her way back up to the top. Yeah, even the protagonists of these stories, even the people you want to get behind and root for, like, they're not good people. No. And I keep forgetting that, because you, ex- yeah. you expect, you know, especially in a Star Wars movie, or, or book, or story, you expect the good people to be good, and you want to root right. for them. Right. So, uh, we discover that Jelf, uh, his name is actually Jelf Marion. And he was a lone Jedi who crashed on Kesh. Uh, he had been bringing his ship down piece a piece at a time. Uh, so that's where he went every morning was to go get another piece and bring it down. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jelf arrived at the barn, uh, but Ori was gone. So when he gets there, she's she's no longer there. He just sees all of his stuff busted up. So. And his <laughs> pile of crap uh, <laughs> unpiled. Yes. So he pulls out his blue lightsaber. And realizes uh, he had to stop her no matter what. So before she can reveal anything, he needs to, to stop her. And thus ends that story. Yeah. I think his exact words were, he came in the bar and he's like, Oh, Sith. <laughs> and then it cuts to the next chapter. Wow. It's like, that's it. Wow. 
No, that didn't happen. Wow. wow. Same letter is just rearranged, <laughs> yeah. Um, what does it? So then we get into Sentinel, and this takes place the same year, so it's still 3,960, which I was glad they didn't just do some big jump. Of yeah, like exactly. Yeah, <laughs> we needed some uh, closure. <laughs> so we have uh, Chapter 1, Jelf uh, had run all night and now was in the capital city of Tav. Uh, he stopped in a way station for a drink, and he looked uh, looked back on his life, how he was involved in the stopping of Exar Kun, who mm. we've heard that name before, yeah, and we will hear that name again in the future. And again, that ties into uh, Tales of the Jedi, yeah, and the Sith War, uh, which is the comic series. So definitely something I want to visit at some point because uh, it's one of my favorite Star Wars stories. So. Um, and then he remembers how he lost his mother and he would have been lost himself if it was not for a covenant that was put together by Krinda Dre, who had lost her husband and her son, Lucian was leading a group called the shadows who would do anything to prevent the return of the Sith. And this is really, really interesting to me. And this is when I was like, really like, it's one of those Again, like we talked about earlier, those connecting moments. Yeah. Krinda uh, Dre and Lucian Dre are right from the comic series Knights of the Old Republic. Yeah, see, this is like, I, I was hearing all these names thrown out in these events, and I was kind of like, this is probably important. But I had no <laughs> idea what it was like attributing to or, or how it connected, but I was like, and so I love cool to find out. Yeah, and I love Knights of the Old Republic. It went for like 50 issues, so and it's a really, really good story. Um, yeah. It's definitely one of my favorites. Um, and so when I heard these names, I totally geeked out. I was like, I was like, oh, it's all tying together because yeah. it is all this time period. Um, I do have uh, just the one reference I do have is uh, Star Wars Knights of the of the Old Republic handbook. Uh, and this is just a, I'm just going to read a brief thing for Krinda Dre and Lucian Dre as far as who they are. Uh, daughter for Krinda Dre, it's a uh, daughter of a Mira Luca father and a human mother. Krinda Dre inherited positive traits from both species. She has both the foresight of the blind Mira Luca and functioning human eyes. Jedi speculate this coincidence may be the source behind Krinda's incredible powers of, uh, prognostication her first mentor Voto CS boss referred to her as the eyes of the Jedi so she was able to see like future visions and stuff like that um, when we get to Lucian Dre he's a son of an important family in both the Republic and the Jedi Order Lucian Dre was born on what would become a dark day for all involved that day was uh, the day Jedi Eula Keldroma had his first contact with the dark side in the Beast Wars. And again, that goes back to the Tales of the Jedi. Mm. Uh, that was a step on the path leading to the Sith War that would claim the life of Lucian's father. Lucian's mother was uh, famed for her abilities to see the future, but while able to use the Force and feel stirrings within it, Lucian never had visions of, of the future. So his mother ignored him, and when she began training other seers, she left Lucian's education to her aid and failed Padawan. Uh, but Lucian and his fathers uh, had his father's talent for combat, and soon the Jedi Order took the teenager in. When Krinda gathered enough seers to create the Covenant, which is what was referred to in the book, the story we read. Right. So this is the this is the connection. Yeah. 
a secret organization to which to watch for the rise of the Sith, Lucian stepped in to coordinate the efforts of her invest uh, of her investigators in the field. Initially limited to handling travel arrangements, Lucian soon moved into operational security and finally became acting as the leader of the ground uh, on the ground for the Covenant's first watch circle of Sears. Right. So this all refers to stuff that was happening in Knights of the Republic comic book series. So this is happening elsewhere in the universe, right? Or yes. in the galaxy yes. or whatever. And it's what motivates Jelf, basically joins the Jedi Covenant. Yep. And is why he was traveling the star system, traveling around, trying to find upstart uh, Sith, uh, or just, uh, not upstart, but, you know, like, groups of Sith. Any signs of them, yeah. Yeah, any signs of Sith in the galaxy, basically, to find and report or find and and break up or whatever he could do. So he's, yep. he's a member of this covenant. It's kind of yep, like a... That's led by Lucian, yeah. Yeah, Jedi special forces to go and just, you know, find out information about Sith. So this is the stuff that really gets me Star Wars geeked out, because I'm just like, I've got references to Knights of the Republic series that I loved, and I got references to the Tales of the Jedi series with the Exar Kun and Eula Keldroma and stuff like that. So all of this is coming together for me in this one story, and I, and like, this was the moment where I was just like, oh my god, this is so awesome. Right. (laughs) So it's like, so, and what are they called? The Jedi Shadow? Like, yeah, so they're known as the Shadows, and, uh, like the Agents of the Covenant. Exactly. So Jelf was actually a secret agent traveling in the Outer Rim, so the Jedi don't even know that he's out there. Right. Um, But the Covenant had stopped uh, somehow, and the Jedi Order saw Jelf as an outlaw. Basically, Jelf doesn't know how the Covenant got stopped. Like, why did the Covenant end? However, if you read Knights of the Old Republic series, you find out why the Covenant ends. Right, and since he wasn't, I mean, he was out on a long-term mission, obviously, combing the outer rim territories you know he's going to be out of contact right um so yeah he doesn't find out and then that's it's during the mandalorian wars that he becomes stranded on Kesh. yes which puts him where he's at now yeah and and this is that thing that we've talked about many times where if you're reading just a story you can enjoy this story but if you're reading other stuff along with this story you get so much more out of it because I know what was happening with Lucien and I know why the covenant ended and stuff. So when I'm reading this, I'm like, well, Jelf, I know why you're here. <laughs> yeah. Which I, you know, gives you all that kind of motivation behind the character that, you know, if you're reading the story, you can just kind of get behind the character and it's fine. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's that second level for people who have invested time into the expanded universe. Yeah. And, and it's, and that's, that's really cool. I mean, that's the benefit of having such a cohesive canon. Yeah, and I would highly recommend reading Knights of the Old Republic. Uh, you have a character named Zane Carrick that becomes the main focal point of that story. And it's just really well done. It's really well crafted. You have stuff that happens in issue 48 that refers to stuff that happened in issue 2. Right. So uh, it, it's highly, highly recommended. Um, so we have uh, To Seek Refuge, Jelf comes to Kesh, and he... He has to. He basically crash lands because of the magnetic force yeah. of the planet, just like the the Sith did years ago. Um, and he finds himself surrounded by what he spent his life trying to stop. <laughs> a whole is, planet of Sith, yeah. Yeah, a whole society of Sith. <laughs> um, he found it easy to keep hidden. Uh, he worked at night to repair his ship, the Oric, and. Uh, he just had to reinstall the communications console and then he could have left 
to be the sentinel he always wanted to be, hence the title of the story. He wanted to right. be able to go back and warn the Jedi Order that, hey, there's this whole planet out there. We should do something about this. <laughs> it's full of Sith. <laughs> yeah. And I found it interesting, too, because he was wanting to do that to get back in the good graces of the Jedi, and he's dealing with Ori, who's trying to turn him in to get back in the good graces with the Sith. Right. So I found that that, you know, analogy pretty interesting so or that dual story going on mm-hmm. pretty interesting uh jelf knew that ori had to head his way uh to the capital but for what purpose he wasn't 100 percent sure so he's not 100 percent sure that she's going to turn him in he doesn't know why she's there but he can't take the, the chance that she's there for what he thinks she's there for um ori goes to the zoo <laughs> Uh, which now serves as a place for the Uvox. It used to have all these different animal species and everything else, but now it just is a place to store the Uvox that survived rake riding battles. Right, and so her mother was kind of deposed from her position of power and yep. was sent to the zoo to shovel manure. Like, they're just talking about <laughs> manure again. So she's been there for two weeks shoveling poop. And she's, and she's still in her High Lord dress. Yeah, I'm like, and, that was yeah. weird. And it's and she's really just become a spectacle. Yeah, uh, people go there just to see her. Uh, this deposed, like yeah, this deposed High Lord. Yeah, um, Ori gets the drop on a guard, and she takes his lightsaber and she goes and speaks to her mom. Uh, her she tells her mother of what she found in regards to you know a Jedi mm-hmm. uh, or the starship, the ship, I should yeah. say. Yeah, and her mother advised her to reach out to Badolfa. B-A-D-O-L-F-A, who has contacts uh, that she still trusts within the Sith. Uh, Ori leaves her mother to see what could be done. She asks her mom to come with her, but her mom's like, no, no. I, I think her mom's like delirious at this point. So, yeah. so then we get into chapter two, uh, which is Jelf was getting sick from his sensitivity to the dark side presence on Tav. So uh, he climbs an aqueduct because he remembers that Ori had stated to him at one time that she was head of the aqueduct system. So he thought there's a chance that if he climbs up there that he might be able to see her or she might be in that area. Um, So he climbs the aqueduct and hopes to get away from the feeling and also to scope out the city. Uh, He's then attacked by a woman using the force and she's brandishing a crimson lightsaber. And here it turns out to be Ori. Right. And she yells out that he's a liar. <laughs> yeah. uh, Jelf explains that uh, as they fight that he was a Jedi and that he uh, did fear the Sith uh, leaving the planet using his ship. And he actually, uh, Lori, or Lori, Ori, <laughs> actually loses her saber in the battle. Right. Uh, Jelf explains that there were no more uh, Sith out in the galaxy. Uh, he explains how Exar Kun tried to bring them back, but was stopped, and that as long as Lucian Dre lived, someone would, be, someone would be looking to make sure the Sith did not return. Right. Uh, or he didn't know what to do if she can't save her mother or her people. And Jelf explains that she should uh, set her own course, and Ori tells Jelf that they will never be able to trust each other. So even though she doesn't know what to do and she kind of wants to take his advice, she feels that since he's Jedi and she's Sith, that they're just never going to be able to trust each other. Right. Uh, 
Jelf explains that the Sith are doomed if they all wish to rule, uh, because only one potentially could do so. Right. So it's a doomed game. It's I love like the nature thing. of the Sith, yeah. Yeah, I loved how he explained it. He's like, you're playing the most ridiculous game in the world, yeah. uh, which is that there can only be one winner, and you all feel like you can be that winner. So, And as soon as you become the winner, you're constantly yeah. looking over your shoulder, you know, so do you yep. really win? And Yep. So he advises Ori to not even bother playing the game, and he kisses her. Uh, Ori realizes she already started the game by sending a message to meet at the farm with some high lords. And right. they don't uh, they don't know why, but they know it's important from the message. So the high lords so don't know the next why day. they're... Yeah. So they don't know... The high lords don't know why they're going to go to the farm, that they they know that it's something important. Right. So uh, she came to... And that she came to the... Uh, Ori came to the aqueduct to see if she could steal an Uvak uh, from a rider so that she can get back to the farm quickly. Uh, but she lost her lightsaber, but fortunately, Jelf still had his. Right. So then we get into chapter three, and Jelf and Ori ride uh, the Uvak, who is actually fighting against them a little bit because <laughs> they're not connected to him. Right. Uh, and uh, it's revealed that Jelf was on Kesh three years. So I can't even imagine, like, you're surrounded by nothing but your enemies for three years. <laughs> yeah, and then with, like, the, the dark side of the force affecting him, too. Yeah. Um, they plan to have Ori hand over uh, some charged blasters, which haven't been seen in ages. Right. Uh, it's a and, technology that the tribe doesn't have anymore. Exactly. And then she's going to say that she found them in a cave. Right. Uh, this would be enough to have the High Lords rescue Ori's mom, at least. And uh, But ahead, they see Uvak riders and realize that they may be too late. So they already see that there's some Uvaks ahead. Um, so... They, uh, you know, Jelf says, "Well, we need to ride steady, but we need to go faster." Yeah, we need to get there. So yeah. they they're afraid that you know the, you know the the four high lords are already there, but when they and get there, see the ship, yeah, yeah. When they get there, so it turns out to be Grand Lord Vin, uh, yep. and but four of her like bodyguards and includes the two bro- the two Luzo brothers. Yeah. So yeah. So Ori actually drops Jelf off before they reach the uh, the farmhouse. And or he finds the blasters that he was referring to. Right. And uh, yeah, instead of the High Lords, Grand Lord Ven is there, and the Grand Lord uh, had discovered the ship already. And Jelfs uh, actually uh, sneaks onto the property and uses the Force to grab the blasters. And he starts firing and taking out some of the saber guards. Uh, the Grand Lord climbs into the starship, and Jelf tries to go after her. But Jelf is stopped by the other Sabres and the, and the Luzo brothers. Grand Lord Ven lifts off uh, go, using automatic pilot. I don't know how she knew how to use automatic yeah. pilot. But, um, it must have been but, a big button. It's that automatic pilot. Or right. <laughs> the Luzo brothers notice what they... Uh, one of them notices what they believe to be a mooring cable... And the other one realizes that's not a mooring cable. <laughs> uh, and uh, what it actually is, it's it's a uh, anti-theft device <laughs> that Jelf rigged where the cable was connected to some torpedoes. Hey, torpedo! Hey, torpedo! It's like an anti. It's like the club from back in the day that you put on your steering wheel. Right. But the club was a stick of dynamite. Right. <laughs> because as the ship pulls this cable, it triggers the torpedoes that were buried underneath the ship 
and those torpedoes explode, which also explodes all the manure around. That's why there was manure there, uh, which creates a bigger explosion of just crap going everywhere. Crap on fire. <laughs> uh, and... As this happens, Jelf quickly tackles Ori into the river as the explosion and shockwaves take out everything around them, okay. uh, inc- including the ship and the Grand Lord inside it. Yep. So then we get into Chapter 4. So this, this Sith Grand Lord was taken out by a poop explosion. <laughs> right. Um, Talk not, about having a crappy very day. very graceful. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I'll just let that hang there for a second. Yeah. Shit or get off the pot. <laughs> Alrighty. So, chapter four. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> uh, it's now eight weeks later, and Ori and Jelf have made a home in the jungles that are, have long believed to be haunted. And so no one's coming to look for them. <laughs> Uh, and they find it surprising that no one has actually even come looking for the Grand High Lord. Yeah. It's basically the the seat is vacant, so that that's all they care about. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ori still had one piece of his starship, uh, or I'm sorry, Jelf still had one piece of his starship that he had never brought back to, to the starship, and that's his transmitter. Uh, he couldn't radio out due to Kesha's magnetic field, but he could pick up signals. And one day he picked up a massive, uh, a message that made him realize he can't go back. And it's the Jedi are at war with each other. And right. the Jedi ap- order appears split because of a Jedi named Revan, which this made me yes. geek out too. Yeah, that was really cool. Setting it up perfectly for the next story that we're going to read. <laughs> um, they realized that both were cast aside so because of all this, they both realize that they're cast aside, both Ori and Jelf, uh, by the Jedi and the Sith. So that they would, uh, would decide to just be there for each other as, uh, and then they pitch the transmitter into the stream. And the, that is the end of the story. That's it. That's it. Yeah. I don't know. So, okay. So what were, what were kind of your overall thoughts of, the you know just kind of these stories we we do have more of these to go over but not right. um before we actually get back into the old republic novels um that do talk about revan and right. and uh this kind of power struggle within the jedi and sith and everything so uh but in the the the, the galaxy proper i guess for lack of a better yeah i think i think had i known how these stories were going to be played out i think i would have had the first story that we read the savior story grouped with that first yeah. group of stories that we read. <laughs> yeah, I completely agree. And then we could have just done these two because the right. that thousand year gap like was very I don't totally know. Threw me off. Yeah, it just took me out of it. And it, I think part of it was that was part of why it took me longer to get into this story as well and to get invested in these characters because I was like, man, there's still all this dangling information from, you know, the previous that yeah. I kind of wanted to know more about and this wasn't giving it to me. So, I think that was for me, it kind of threw me off. And by the end of this, I liked the characters, especially Jelf. And um, and I was like, oh, okay, that's cool. And I kind of wanted maybe, I don't know, just, yeah, maybe one more of these small books that led up to the second arc. Yeah. Or one more book you know, about Nita and her establishing the new Sith Order yeah. of ways of doing things, you know. 
Yeah, I think I when I read it also, uh, when I read the, the second group of stories, um, I didn't notice it was a thousand year gap either, but I did notice that there was years difference and I thought it was only 15 years difference. Cause I didn't notice the first number had changed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I was like, wow, a lot changed in 15 years. Yeah. It's, and, like in the, it's not even the first, um, page or anything, but a few pages into that, um, story then they talk about a millennia or you know and you're like wait what and i went back yeah. and looked at the dates and i was like oh crap you know so yeah, yeah I, I agree if we would have uh we probably could have should have included that fourth short story in with the previous three and then had these two separate yeah but um i think this one um i found really interesting because it because it especially like you said right towards the end it starts uh making more reference i like this second short story which one sentinel better than purgatory yeah because i think sentinel like like you mentioned towards the end there started uh making reference to um Revan you know, or, yeah, just the, the greater the greater story in general and, and there's yeah. a lot of those little neat tidbits so yeah and i definitely out of all the stories i definitely like sentinel the best because like you said it, it had references to the tales of the jedi stories which i love the knights of the old republic stories that i loved and then setting things up for, hey, there's a story about this character named Revan out there, and that is actually the next book that we will be reading, right. is uh, Old Republic Revan, yeah. uh, which I'm really looking forward to, because I always thought that character looked awesome, but I don't know a whole lot about him, and I'm assuming that that book is going to really uh, flesh out that character uh, yeah. for us. So, so yeah, I like the I like the Sentinel book. Um, I... These three stories I didn't like as much as the first three stories. Yeah, I felt like this uh, was a little more like even the action in it seemed like uh, just really uh, quick and then quick, done. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it just yeah. seemed like a tiny skirmish in a larger novel where you're waiting for the big battle to happen, but we never got the big battle from yeah. all six of these you know little stories. Even the confrontation at the temple between Sila and Corson. And Nita coming in and saving the day, which is told very quickly. I yeah. mean, like within you know one single chapter. It is part of the nature of these short stories. Like I get it. Sure. But sure. Um, I just never had that same satisfaction as when you read a novel. You have all this buildup and then boom, this huge confrontation at the end, yeah. and you kind of you, know, you get a, a cool sense of closure. This felt like a bunch of interesting snippet little scenes. Yeah, and that's the one thing, I mean, I know we talked about at the beginning of the episode, that's the one thing that I will be sad about the EU going, is that there are stories like this that could be fleshed out so much more if someone else comes along and does some comics or does some more books or something like that, yeah. and we're just not going to see those stories, um, unfortunately. But, you know, I'll still take it for what it's worth. You know, there's still some some cool characters, like you were saying, Nito was a cool character. Jelf was a cool character. Like I'm glad I read their stories to kind of learn about them. I just wish we yeah. could have fleshed them out even a little bit more. Yeah. Yep. So, I agree. So, all right. So, uh, so as I mentioned, the, uh, the next book that we're going to read is actually a book and not just the novellas. And that's going to be old Republic Revan. Uh, so, I'll see how long that takes me to actually read. <laughs> uh, but I will start on it right away, so hopefully it won't be too long before we revisit that. Um, and that one definitely is available on audiobook, because I've, yes. I've listened to this before, so okay, I'm excited awesome. to go back to it with kind of a little more awesome. context. Awesome. And to give some uh, 
give some resource material that, that I will definitely be using for that episode when we get to it. Uh, this is my chance to mention another book outside of the ones that we're reading that also is a great Star Wars book, and that is uh, there's a book called Old Republic um, Encyclopedia. And oh, it's cool. a nice, big, hardcover book. Um, it's like 12 by 12 or something like that. I mean, it's, oh, it's wow. big. Um, and it was made for the Old Republic video game. Right. But it's, it's a resource book. It's a, it really, you don't even have to ever play that game, which I have not. I've not played the Old Republic game, which is the multiplayer game. Yeah. Um, I've never played it because I don't have a PC that can handle it anymore. Um, <laughs> but this is like your typical Star Wars resource book. You don't have to play the game because it's not referring to like, you know, pushing the the L key or something like that. (laughs) It's totally about the history of these characters, where uh, the time period of the old Republic, the planets, the beasts, the, you know, the different people that helped shape it. So uh, I will definitely be using it as a resource. It's a book I I can highly recommend if you are a star Wars nut and like reference books. So, um, so go check it out. It's, It's got pretty pictures in it. So if you like art, it's got that in it as well. So, um, and it's fun, it's done by DK. So, you know, that the images and everything else are really vibrant in it. Yeah. So, um, and then one last thing I wanted to throw out there is, um, I haven't done one in a while and that's a star Wars blaster shot where this one comes from is I watched the finale to once upon a time. Uh, yeah. I like, I like watching it. it reminds me a little bit of what fables is like. Right. And, the one character, Emma, accidentally goes into her parents' past in in the uh, Enchanted Forest. Uh-huh. And she is introduced at this big ball that she goes to, and she meets the one king, and he goes, oh, and, and who are you? And she's there with Captain Hook, and Captain Hook introduces himself as Prince Char- Charles, and she introduces herself as Princess Leia. <laughs> <laughs> So I thought that was a nice nod <laughs> to Star Wars, especially because it's an ABC channel. Yeah, uh, yeah. So Disney owns. So yeah. it's Disney owns Star Wars. So they threw Princess Leia in there, <laughs> and, it, and it's mentioned multiple times in the story. Yeah. And uh, it was it's hilarious because then she goes back to the current day, and she meet, and she's interacting with her parents, and they're like, "Wait a minute, you were Princess Leia." <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, so it's a nice, again, it, I like it whenever whenever there's a Star Wars reference in something that you wouldn't expect a Star Wars reference to appear in. So, yeah. so uh, with that, let me go ahead and give our information out. Um, Robert, where can people find you at? Um, yeah, just at Robert Atkins Art. Uh, it's on various uh, social media. So it's that name under Facebook. It's at Robert Atkins Art for Twitter. I just started up a Tumblr account, but it's basically just like my blog, uh, again, under the same name. So robertatkinsart.blogspot.com. Uh, and you can always email me through that blog if you want to get a hold of me. Cool. And you can find us at starjoes.com. You can find us at the forumforgeeks.com. Uh, you can register and sign sign in and uh, interact with us every day. You can find us on Facebook. There is a fan page and a profile page. However, the profile page will be going away very soon. In fact, uh, just to make the official announcement, at the end of May, uh, is when I will be getting rid of the profile page, and we will just have the fan page, which right. is the one that's most active, anyways. Yeah, so it makes sense. There'll be less confusion anyway. So right, it'll work exactly. Out. So, um, so if you're on the profile page and you you want to still be involved in all the activities, 
come over to the fan page and you can just hit like and you'll be part of the fan page. And really, if you just search Star Joe's anyway, that's what yeah. pops up. So exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I did want to mention too is I can't believe I forgot about this, but I am working on some Star Wars related stuff. Yes. Um, that actually just got announced. Um, or so you can put pre-orders in for for the product that I'm doing all the package art for um, a Star Wars is just got a licensing agreement with Mattel's um, Hot Wheels. So they're going to come out with Hot Wheels uh, toys uh, just with a Star Wars theme, so a Star Wars licensing theme. Now, I haven't seen um, any of the products, so the cars themselves or the vehicles themselves. I don't, I, don't, I don't know. So I don't know much information in regards to that. I know what the package looks like. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, but it's been great. I've been able to work on a lot of, like, the big characters. I don't, I don't think I can say yet who, but... Um, yeah. And I've been working on that for the last, I don't know, how long has it been? Three weeks, I think. So um, maybe longer. I don't know. But uh, but it's been a lot of fun. I mean, it's been so much fun. I just basically get to draw character art of my favorite Star Wars characters. And, um, and you basically get to do packaging art that reminds you of the packaging art you grew up with. Oh, yeah, completely. Um, it's just, it's and it's been cool. And there's some characters that I get that, uh, like I was talking to Ryan today, just that I'd be like, oh, well, I guess it's so and so. I didn't really think much of it, but then as I drew, I'm like, this is so cool! Like I just <laughs> forgot. I don't know. It's just something about drawing the character and seeing it come to life, and you're like, man, you know. And and then by the time, I, and I'm just doing the penciling aspect to it, and then they're, um, then you know they go in and digitally paint over it, basically to kind of uh, just put color to it and make it ready for the package art. And then once I see it all put together, it's just awesome. It's just cool. Yeah. fun stuff to see and it, and it's a completely collaborative process because i think it's great to see when i do send my pencils in and they're tight drawings they're like tonal grayscale drawings that, that i send in and then they throw layers of color over it but you know they'll, they'll make adjustments and then uh it's like a whole new picture of star wars by the time i see it done and i almost kind of forget that i drew it i'm just like i just want to see more of that stuff yeah. So it, uh, it makes yeah. me excited. So as soon as it hits shelves or as soon as we can start showing artwork or what the package looks like, at least, um, then what we can post it and talk about yeah, it more. Yeah, we can but. post it on Facebook and the forums and stuff yeah. like that. Um, you can email us at starjoespodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. It's at starjoespodcast. Uh, you can call and leave us a voicemail, uh, just like Christopher Walken did. And uh, <laughs> that, phone, that. <laughs> that phone number is 440-941-JOES, and that's 440-941-5637. And uh, I think that that's everything. Yeah. Uh, but uh, with that, we'll go ahead and close by saying the Force will be with you. Because knowing us is half the battle. Take care, everyone. Bye.
sign Send up a signal, I'll throw you a line Stained glass curtain, you're hiding behind Never lets in the sun Darling, only the 